Lots of comedy entertainment this Christmas on BBC One. A special Christmas, are you being served? Suggesting that I'm on the fiddle? No, but you could be tuning up. <laughs> An out-of-season party in Heidi High. Mr. Fairbrother, do we or do we not look ridiculous? <laughs> Only Fools and Horses and the Trotters face yet another Christmas of TV and Grandad's Cookie. And Terry and June also look forward to Christmas television. What time is it? Uh, nearly 11. You're in luck. Your favourite film's on BBC Two. Lassie Come Home. <laughs> and there's a Christmas Day last of the summer wine. Oh, Merry Christmas, Mrs. Edward. Douglas, it's for you. There's a tramp at the door. <laughs> I'm Lisa. Welcome to episode 30. Yes, of, of Around the Archives. Yes, which is the Christmas special. Yes, so happy Christmas! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the only correction from episode 29 yes. is um, frump, yes. not crump. Yes, sorry, I've got, got my C's and my F's mixed up. So Morticia's side of the family in the Adams family oh, are the frumps. Yeah. Uh, crump, the only... Th- reference i can think of is uh mrs crump pinnit in the new gas cooker sketch in uh monty python's flying circus okay and to be very picky uh the part played uh by terry jones is mrs pinnit mm-hmm. and the gas cooker is intended for mrs crump right but they ask her to sign it mrs crump pinnit right okay okay yeah that's just terribly complicated yes but anyway First things first. Yes. Uh, Christmas, Terry and June. Yes. For which Warren will join us. He will. Good King Wenceslas last lost out upon the feast of Stephen. The snow was up to his knees and it was very crisp and even. That's worse than the kids on the bl- on the blooming show, Warren. June! <laughs> Terry and June Christmas show number one. Yes. June, 23rd of December, 1980. Mm-hmm. Um, quarter past seven. In the mm. evening, following Angels, mm-hmm. Christmas at St. Angela, Angelism before the Christmas comedy classic The Likely Lads, and then the Dawson Watch. So it's mm. a real like comedy mm. yes. lineup. But I get the feeling you enjoyed that more than you thought you were going to. Mm. I, yes, I did. Yeah, because <laughs> we said we said we're going to do Chris, we're going to do Christmas Terry and Junes, and mm. you went oh, all right if you want to. <laughs> But even from the start, I think you were subverted, weren't you? Because yes. you were expecting Terry in the, like the 
What's the opening tone? It's, the, it's the railway station, isn't it? They oh, yes. keep missing each other. We have we had the cheap advent calendar. Yeah, yes. but what was the railway station? Oh, um, um, was it East Croydon? East Croydon, East yeah. Croydon, and they yeah. go through the shopping centre and, and things, keep losing each other. That's and... the one. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, there's some advent calendar with some mysterious hand coming in. We don't even know whose hand <laughs> it is. It should have had the Monty Python gorilla hands come across. <laughs> but two years ago, we mentioned this in passing. Where yes. you said, because this is the one where about the fur coat. Yes, isn't it, it yes. is. Yeah. It is. Yes. And you said at the time mm. you wouldn't have wanted a fur no. coat. No, I would never want a fur coat, which is, I, I suppose it's a bit hypocritical of me because. I have worn leather shoes and I had a leather coat and I do eat meat, but I don't agree with Did fur. Did you have Parker? Yes. Not, well, not original Parker. Fur, though, wasn't yes, it? it's yeah. fake, yeah. fake, fake fur, fur all the time, yes. yes. You said yeah. Parker, I thought you meant bloke off a Thunderbird. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the fur coat thing is not really a huge part of the plot, really. It's it's more no. a series of sketches it again, is. isn't it? yeah. Because yeah. you've got... Um, it's almost a archetypal British... Um, Fast, isn't it? Yeah, that's all mm. it is. Whoops, Vicar, where's my trousers? Because you've got the bit where they go to the charity shop. Yes. yes. And you said, what would a charity shop have in 1980? Yeah. Because you keep finding things in charity shops from uh, yeah. earlier than 1980, don't you? Yeah, I was mm. finding things yesterday. Um, the annual from Crackerjack with Michael Aspel on the front cover. And you said you said you found some Magpie books. Oh, as well. I've actually found the Fast Magpie album as well. Album? Al- album. <laughs> Sing along a magpie. Did you know that one? Magpie uh, book. Annual, yes. And you said you tracked down a load of Blue Peter ones the other yep, week as well. Yep, they're, they're, they're in Weymouth, yeah. But yeah, what would a charity shop in 1980 have? Yeah, exactly. Well, the answer is not much, because it's quite a sparse set, isn't it? It's mm. very sparse set. Although it's got um, Daphne Oxenford and Patsy Smart in it. Yes. You wouldn't want them served up with onions, would you? Selling Christmas cards for um, charities. For various charities. <laughs> yeah. And it's weird, because it's obviously charity shops now are... Because this, this looks like it's a charity shop for all sorts of different charities. Yeah, yeah. Where it's charity safe, shops yeah. now, it's for the British Heart Foundation yeah, or Cats specific, Protection yeah. or whatever. So you know what you're getting when you go in. But, Sorry, yeah. No, no, no. I was, I was just reminiscing. Um, my auntie lived in Notting Hill and she used to live above War on Want, was right. the charity shop. And I always remember it being a very sparse place very dark and sparse shop yeah with absolutely next to nothing in it but come christmas it was just jam-packed full of christmas cards for all sorts of charities and did it have that charity shop smell yes warm dust yeah it's <laughs> it's just weird that yeah you know because obviously going um to a side of uh, the, the the new doctor, Jodie Whittaker's doctor, got mm. her outfit from a charity shop. So she's just taking that charity shop smell all around the universe. Old men's trousers. Yes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to get too warm in them. No. Um, oh. But, but Terry buys this um, fake... Uh, Christmas tree that he can't put together yeah. so you don't need to do that anymore they mostly come fitted don't they and you yeah. just fluff them Boom. but do you remember yeah. when yeah. we got our first big Christmas tree oh gosh tree yes at, that at was Gilligan, complicated Lisa. you did have to fit it into the base didn't you yeah because it, it was a fibre optic one yeah but oh, okay. we got it in Gillingham mm. and we only had to drive it like sort no, of we did get it in Gillingham we got it in Yeovil didn't we no, 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 we got oh, it. We got the tree in, in, Gillingham, the tree in Gillingham and the decorations in And we Yeovil. had to drive it half a mile up the road. But you couldn't see because it was so big. I don't want to admit this to Warren as a policeman. But well, we... I think the worst thing you've admitted, you've been to Yeovil. <laughs> well, we had to stick it in the back seat. Yeah. yeah. And you had to sit in the back. Yeah. 
Because the front bit of it <laughs> protruded <laughs> into the into the into oh, the passenger fantastic. seat, yes. so I couldn't see where the left turning was. <laughs> I was restricted in my vision, and I was saying to you, "Have we got to the junction yet? Are we, um, do I turn?" And I can see you hanging out the window looking. <laughs> This is true, Sherry, and you sketch happening in your yes, car. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, he's got this um, instructions to put it together. And we did laugh at it, although it is a bit racist, <laughs> yes. isn't it? Because yeah. he turns over the page, because he says about... Assemble, yeah, clips They together. finally work out how to do it, yeah. or June does it. And then he comes back and he gets the branches are in bag A. And he gets yeah. bag A and he turns the instructions over and it goes from English to Spanish. Yeah. And then English to, I don't even know what the other, one of them yeah. is Chinese and the other one's probably French, but, yeah, I think. Terry Scott doing Chinese. Doing Chinese, yes. Not something you want to see. No. Then the um, the carol singers turn up. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. The, the little boys. Yeah. I thought we were heading for an archetypal um, children singing badly on the, on, the, on the doorstep, but it was way more than <laughs> that. <laughs> it was wonderful. And I'm beginning to think Johnny Kane had, this was the way that Johnny Kane John went Kane. around. John Kane went hmm. around. Um, doing his carol singing with his kids <laughs> yeah. but yeah, and you said what was it you said Warren about the, the number of lights they've got on in every the house every light in that house is on which I... makes a difference from because I was thinking this the other day because I have trouble reading I'm sorry in that? artificial light <laughs> yeah so ideally I have as many lights on as possible so that I can read if I want to but in sure. a lot of television shows, they only have like side lights on, yeah. so it's dark in most of the room, apart from pools of light. Because mm. obviously, it, the, the the lighting people are the I think it gives it an interesting yeah. yeah. Where is this? There's lights everywhere. But they've got central lights. They've got wall lights. Yeah, they've, they've got, got lamps. lamps. And they've got lamps. electric yeah. fire burning. Yeah. And the hallway lamps are on. Upstairs lights are on. Kitchens on. Yeah. But they don't spend all their time in all these rooms. Mm. But. I, Again, I see. I I don't mind that because when I lived at home, we had to turn lights off as we go. We went, so you'd go if to you the left bathroom. The room. Yeah, you'd have you turn the hall light on. When you got to the bathroom, you my dad would turn the hall light off from downstairs. Then you'd have to shower and he'd turn the hall light on, but you had to turn the bathroom light off. So consequently, now I leave all lights on. Okay, as we, a bit of a rebellion. We used to have massive baker light switches. Do you remember? <laughs> yeah, those? oh yeah, big round massive knobs. Thing. It's like turning the main power supply Control. on and off, yeah. wasn't it? It's like yeah. the monsters. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we should say uh, Malcolm in this one is Tim Barrett. Tim Barrett. Yeah. There are three Malcolms. All right, there are, there are three Malcolms. The first Malcolm's Terex Alexander. Yeah. Obviously, does one series, then goes away to do Bergerac. So they get Tim Barrett in. Yeah. Then after Tim Barrett, and I've forgotten the actor's name now. Yeah, we, we might see him in the later There's another Malcolm. All right. And then Tim Barrett comes back as a different character. Why do they not recognise him as Malcolm? Okay. Do you think Malcolm's been um, absorbed by some yes. <laughs> Strange. John Quayle, that's right. the third John Malcolm. Quayle. Anyway, we'll move on to the next uh, Christmas special in, yes. in a minute. But yeah, you, yeah. you've, you've I, taken I, to this, I'm haven't you? But before this, yes. we do that, we've got the surprise. Mm. Oh. Um, so, Lisa, if you'd like to take hold of this and get okay. Warren to take... No, no, no. All oh, right, take hold of this. Right. Ooh. Okay, Warren. We've got a cracker for Warren. Oh, you're going to put a cracker? You put a cracker live so, on air. Do I say pop? No, it should make a noise. One, okay. two, three. <laughs> Ow! 
Right, Lisa's got the. I've got. You've got the pro. Are you alright, Warren? You've fractured <laughs> your elbow. I have got. I don't know what, what it's, is it's that. It's like a bell-shaped cookie cutter, I think. A tiny cookie. <laughs> tiny, tiny cookies. Hey, hey, hat. Hey. Hey. Hat and I've got on. a joke. What's they your joke? They joke. My joke is, what's the fastest fish in the world? I don't know. Don't know. What's a it? motorbike. Oh, cheery me. And on that tish. note. Yes. <laughs> Well, get, put your hat on. I'll put my hat on, but hey. it'll fall over my eyes. Right, Lisa's sitting here wearing a yellow hat, and you've yes. got to keep this on for the whole okay. of the episode. All right. Okay. okay. See you soon for the next episode. Okay. Bye bye. bye. We're back again with more. Yeah. With more Terry and June. <laughs> yes. Uh, this time from the 28th of December, 1981. Now, there's no actual episode title no. given. No. I would have um, called it In and Out Like a Fiddler's Elbow. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, uh, 20 past 5 is Grange Hill Christmas special. Mm-hmm. Uh, 5.45 K9 and company. Woo-hoo. And Christmas Terry in June is at 6.35. Yes. Followed by the Battle of Midway. Yes, because it's, 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 it's obviously <laughs> not It's not quite so much Christmas, is it? So they've just yeah, put we're, any we're old a bit, town. We're a bit after, so you've got a schedule to fill. Yeah. Um, but what do you think of this one? This one's more in the like the fast line, isn't yes. it? Oh, yeah, yeah, almost except uh, almost with Vicar with no trousers running through. Yeah, because it's there, more yeah. Malcolm and Beatty. Yeah. Yes, except Beatty doesn't seem to have the fur coat that she had last year. No, I don't know what's no. happened to that. Perhaps it's not cold enough to wear a fur coat. But it's all about yeah. sort of Malcolm having ding dongs with mm-hmm. other yes. women, isn't yes. it? Now, what do you what do we think of this? Is we're this very not, Christmassy? Yes, we're not sure we approve. Of I this. don't think I'm, I'm, I'm. I can't remember all this yeah. sort of thing. Oh, I, I remember him always being a little bit of a lecherous old pervert. Yes, ah. yes. But has, has, has so far we're halfway through, and has the subject matter surprised you a bit? Did you think it was a bit more safe than this, perhaps? I thought it was going to be a safe, comfortable Terry and Jude like the previous. The pace has picked up a lot mm. quicker. Mm, yeah. Um, the jokes are firing out quicker, isn't yeah. it? Uh, but I thought it was a bit, um, a bit dodgy, wasn't it? Well, for the mm. time it's on, half past six. Yeah. You know, I'd feel it. We're was... talking about extramarital affairs. Yeah, I mean, there's Somebody a lot of smoking. A lot yeah. of smoking. Yeah. There's, there's a few more swear words. Well, there mm. were last time actually, because yes. there were a few. But that was on a bit later, wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, a lot, of, lot of drinking going on. Mm. As well. A lot of drinking yeah. and, and spiders. And spiders. Spiders. Arachnophobia. Yeah. yeah, I love the fact that Terry's scared of spiders. Yes. <laughs> well, haven't they got the wobbliest kitchen table in the oh, world? Yes. We're waiting for it to collapse, aren't we? Because yeah. you, you said there's a load of. Bottles of drink, like sort of Bell's whiskey and gin all the and labels all that. looking the other way. And all the labels you can't quite quite see on on it, screen. It's like mm. the fairy, um, sorry, the detergent plastic detergent bottle will have the white piece of tape across the bit that says fairy. <laughs> <laughs> and did you say there was a bit of a wobbly set at one point as well upstairs or something? Oh yes, well I didn't really spot where it. Where they but... do the running between bedroom scene, yeah. they slam the door and the wall wobbles like Mon- um, Monty by I like pure faulty towers. <laughs> But yeah, um, and somebody's clearly bought the uh, freeze frame machine for the video <laughs> editing suite, haven't they? Yeah. Because not only have you got a special title sequence, which is yeah. just done in, Another in slide just just single single frame shots. Yeah. Um So we haven't actually had the proper title sequence at all yet. No, not at all. No. no, I don't no. think we're going to get it. No. And there's another sequence to do with uh, New Year's Eve at sort of midnight, mm. um, where was it? Beatty's kissing some bloke. Yeah. And then servicing tonsils. Yeah. And uh, Malcolm's not happy about it. <laughs> and then he goes to throw a punch and he gets Terry in the mm. in the eye. So Yes. 
But yeah, um, you can tell how this <laughs> this technology is is still quite early because uh, a lot of the shots, like all the action shots, is they're very very blurry, blurry aren't yeah. they? Mm. Yeah. Um, but I, I quite enjoyed that. It's, yes. Uh, yeah. It's uh, you it was, know. Com- I think there's a there's a palpable difference between the last episode yeah. that we watched. Yes. It's, it's only, as you say, it's only a year on. And they're but... very confident in their roles, aren't they? Yeah. And then yeah. again, we've yeah. had the series before this, wasn't it? Happily ever after. Yes. Yeah, and this is the third earlier. series. And there's very precise yeah. timing in the sort of acting and the editing. Yeah. Because uh, well, Malcolm comes in and he's all like, he spent the night in his car and he's all mm. hunched over. Yeah. And then June's going to pull that his was head the, round. That was the painful scene, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. And Terry comes in at just the right wrong, wrong yeah. moment, if you see yes. what I mean. And I think we forget how good, sort of, a, sort of how technically good Terry Scott actually he is. He is. Yeah, absolutely. He yeah. really is. His delivery is wonderful, he is. isn't yeah. it? Yeah, he's, he's spot on. on. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. great fun all round, I think. Yes. They're, they're a bunch of old pros, aren't they, really? They are. They are they're all of... firing on yeah. top whack, There's not I? too much ham. No. no, there's enough just to make it funny, mm. and we did actually laugh out loud at yeah. a fair bit of this. We did, and that yes. surprised me. Yeah, um, and a lot of cringing as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, there is. That's, that's always good fun as well, isn't it? As long as it's not too bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, do you want to do another cracker? Oh, go on then. Right. Well, if you two pull this one, you you have this one, Warren. So here we go. Well, you and Warren should pull it because right. I've already pulled one. Warren, okay. So. Well, I'll, I'll try not to. If, yeah. All right. Here we go okay. then, Warren. One, two, three. Oh, well, that's mine then. My hand's on fire. Lisa, can you get it out for <laughs> okay, me? Okay, right, okay. Have a rummage inside it. <laughs> so, uh, right up inside me tube. Oh, oh you've got. Oh. What's that? I have no idea. It might be a hair thing. It's a bendy. What is it? I have no idea. It's a heart of some is, kind. Is it a wristband? Possibly. I don't know. Oh, you've got is. an orange hat. An orange hat. No, put me an out. An orange on hat. Me. Hang on, I've got to get. Do we think the next one will be blue then? Oh, there. Can you get it on me? Whilst you're doing that, yeah. can we just mention the closing sequence? Oh, yes. that was weird. That yeah, was what was really all that weird. about, Warren? Yeah. Um, Beattie been off to Trafalgar Square. Square. She'd been given a lift by a group of people, haven't they? Mm. Yeah. And they were the the Pearly Caledonian Supporters Club. Yeah. And they turn up in their coach. Yeah. And they the sort of set playing and all bagpipes. These, all these people in tartan and kilts yeah. come in playing the bagpipes. I notice the bloke. In, where the bagpipes goes to the top of the stairs so he can get a close-up. Yeah. Mm. Sort of winks at the camera. <laughs> yeah. And then you get a Merry Christmas oh, to all of you. Happy, Happy New, New Year, Year to all of you at home. Yeah. Just yeah. disintegrates, doesn't yeah. it? You know, yeah. yeah. It's like the, the Feast of Stephen equivalent of Terry and June. Mm-hmm. But you ready for the uh, for the joke, boys God, and girls? What is the motto? Mm-hmm. Uh, question. How do you stop a skunk smelling? Hold its nose. Correct! Well done, Warren. Sorry. You're getting the hang of this humour. Right. When's the next... It's <laughs> falling. When's the next one, Lisa? Next one is series... Series... Oh, from 1982. So, so it's yeah. simply called... Christmas. Christmas with Terry and June. Oh, yeah. and it, it, oh dear, it involves Sir Dennis. Sir Dennis. Oh. So About time. Medford. Medford! This is a water game from Ideal. Christmas time, misery and wine, and 
in the spirit of the season, I thought I'd talk a little bit about a couple of the television shows that I traditionally try and sit down at some point and watch over the festive season. There's only two, really. I always try to take an hour to watch Too Many Christmas Trees, an episode from the first season of The Avengers that was shot on film, the fourth series made, albeit in black and white, and the first series featuring Diana Rigg as Emma Peel. After that, our annual must-see is The Blue Carbuncle, which concluded the first series of Granada Television's high-profile adaptation of The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, when David Burke is still playing a vital, youthful and intelligent Dr. Watson, very much not in the Nigel Bruce mould. Don't knock Nigel Bruce, by the way. I think he's great alongside Basil Rothbone in the Universal film series of the 1940s, and that film series always gets an airing around this time of year when the world outdoors is dark and chilly. I also try and park myself in front of It's a Wonderful Life at some point too, but as it makes my beloved cry, I have to sneak that one into the machine at some point when she's otherwise engaged. Christmas is, of course, traditionally the most wonderful time of the year when it comes to telly, especially in the light entertainment department, anyway. Although over the years, the drama departments have also tended to offer festive-themed or extended special episodes of some favourite series, which may feature overseas filming, extended running times, or perhaps unexpected high-profile guest stars. When I was a kid, of course, Christmas also meant that television also started far earlier in the day than was usual, and the mornings were filled with exciting adventure series intended to keep children happy, and characters like Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon were resurrected for daily runs on BBC television over the Christmas holidays, sometimes coupled with a series being rerun called Holiday Star Trek, or to keep us in impressionable kiddiewinks amused as parcels were wrapped and mince pies were baked. Episode 1 of the first Flash Gordon serial features music used in The Bride of Frankenstein and has a bear painted with stripes as an alien beast and Flash fighting three massively fanged and hairy men wearing space nappies. We were engrossed! On the big day itself, we were never allowed to have TV on during the day, apart from the Queen's speech, of course. But once we'd got home on Christmas night, the family would gather round to see some of the greats, some mothers do have them, Mike Yarwood, Eric and Ernie, and The Generation Game, editions of which still have record-smashing ratings because almost everyone else in the country was pretty much doing exactly the same thing, and almost nobody yet had a home video recorder, apart from William Shatner in that Columbo episode where he wears a big white hat. But it's none of those shows that really mean Christmas to me nowadays. Over the years, I've picked up my other favourites, and they are the ones that re- have really come to mean Christmas to me in more recent years. Getting back to them, it might seem surprising that an adventure series like The Avengers might try to do a Christmas episode, as these sorts of shows were generally bundled up, packaged, and made to be sold off in chunks to the various networks. And unless they go national or international, that pesky little festive slot does tend to only turn up once a year, even if it is at around the same time, which makes scheduling programmes with a festive theme slightly Slightly awkward. The Avengers did have form, though, of at least being vaguely topical, and on Christmas Day in 1965, what else were you going to hang your merry tale around? Happily, with the Avengers having your story fixated around a Charles Dickens fanatic at Christmas time doesn't feel too much different to any of the other eccentric, diabolical masterminds with peculiar obsessions in the series, and means that the episode doesn't feel too Christmassy even in August. 
I think that the black and white series of The Avengers featuring Diana Rigg as Mrs Emma Peel is my favourite overall. Being shot on film, it just makes it feel classier somehow, but the monochrome also gives it gravitas and hides a multitude of design sins. It's a great series overall, with some fabulously rewatchable episodes, and Too Many Christmas Trees, with a script by Tony Williamson and directed by Roy Baker, is from about halfway through that series, and is very much in the television tradition of creating unsettling tales for Christmas night. It begins with a dream sequence all played out to some eerie harp music, as a sleeping John Steed is transported to a cut-out studio forest of stylized Christmas trees, stars and baubles, while still in his pyjamas. Via a parcel, he finds himself a mirror, and quite possibly the scariest masked Santa Claus in television history. Eventually, some Christmas stockings lead him to find a dead body. Ho, ho, ho. And it's a pretty terrifying ho, 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 too. We cut to a bizarre fairy perched upon a Christmas tree as Steed wakes up in his flat after what seems like a very rowdy night before. At his door is Milko, Emma Peel, in her finest tweeds, and over some jolly banter we discover all about his night in with the rear admiral and his recent nightmares. During this exchange, his childlike retort to Emma's suggestion that there's no Santa Claus is delightful, by the way, and remains a rather typical example of their wonderful on-screen relationship. Meanwhile, Steed shaves, requires much black coffee, and we learn that the body he saw in his dream was suspected traitor Freddy, who turns out to be actually dead. We cut to an aerial view of a rotating circular table of doom with added snowflake pattern where the late Freddy's picture is already being replaced by the next target, a certain Mr. John Steed. As pendulums swing, clocks beat a soporific drumbeat and that blurry, terrifying Santa cackles away. And whilst we ponder upon brainstorms, Steed goes through his Christmas cards and receives one from Mrs. Gale, which is a rather unusual nod to the earlier incarnation of The Avengers starring Anna Blackman, and cheekily makes reference to her role in the James Bond film Goldfinger. Perhaps because of all these women sending fondest regards to him, Steed is invited by Mrs. Peel to come away for a proper Dickensian Christmas at a house party she's been invited to by her friend Jeremy. And whilst we contemplate a blank Christmas card that very much resembles the elements of Steed's dreams, we find John and Emma travelling in Steed's old Bentley, of which he is very fond, along a strangely familiar route to the old dark house also very familiar from his dreams. Something is obviously afoot, because they have been invited to spend Christmas amongst a nest of spies, which includes very familiar faces like Alex Scott and Edwin Richfield, out in the middle of nowhere. At the house they are greeted by Robert James of Lesterson in The Power of the Daleks fame, playing Jenkins the butler, and meet Mervyn Johns playing the Charles Dickens enthusiast Brandon Story, and amidst dark mutterings about experiments they are shown to their Dickensian-themed bedrooms, after which they attend a party where various introductions are made, and Steed soon regains his lounge lizard credentials when he spots an unattached young woman. Edwin Richfield, as Dr. Teasel, does his level best to look sinister, never difficult for him, and much sinister noise is made of psychoanalysis and a novelty guillotine cigar cutter, which leads to John Steed having a Sidney Carlton-themed dream where a much larger guillotine threatens him, and he first meets the sinister psychic Janice Crane, yet to formally arrive at the house and played by Jeanette Sturker. And there is another round of diabolical laughter from behind that scariest Santa mask ever. Meanwhile, Steed and Mrs. Peel start to investigate in their bedrooms. Janice Crane actually arrives, leading to more questions about Steed's sudden psychic abilities. Emma's young friend Jeremy Wade, played by Barry Warren, is starting to get the twitches, which will later lead to his untimely demise, as such things tend to in the Avengers. 
Steed and Mrs. Peel's outfits arrive for the evening's costume party, and Steed is, not unsurprisingly, going to be decked out in the same Sidney Carlton garb that he was wearing in his ominous dream, whilst Mrs. Peel gets to wear a very tight Oliver Twist outfit, which is nice. Well, as Steed says, my, you have filled out. Ahem. Anyway, they go downstairs to attend just the sort of Dickensian Christmas party that many of us probably would love to be able to host, and there is much talk of Steed's potential breakdown and a hypnotic psychic display from Janice where horrible Santa gets another round of sinister laughing in, although Emma manages to break the hypnotic spell. Meanwhile, Jeremy, as Marley's ghost, fixes a date with Destiny in the rather nicely designed Hall of Great Expectations, where the statutory mice nibble at the statutory abandoned wedding cake amidst the many cobwebs. His body is found in a chair there by Emma, carrying a candelabra of real candles, health and safety fans. She uh, matter-of-factly goes to fetch Steed who is acting most bizarrely and daffy in order to resist the hypnotic mind control or whatever it is, and this leads her back to Dr. Teasel, who helps her to find Jeremy's body has now disappeared. Uh, uh, has some theories about group telepathy, is with her when she witnesses the butler drugging Steed's drink, and finally pulls a gun on her, proving that he's a wrong one we always expect him of being. But all is not what it seems. Steed pretends to sleep as Teasel is bested in a fight with Emma Peel, no surprises there, and the table folk get more confused as Steed is faking having drunk the potion, maintains it is Emma that has been showing signs of being mind-controlled, that Dr. Teasel is not a wrong one after all, and then encourages her to join him in a jaunty rendition of Green Grow the Rushes, oh, to help keep their minds clear. Their interaction here is quite lovely, bearing in mind that they'd only been together a few weeks in the television series terms, and it goes a long way towards showing why this particular Avengers pair is so fondly remembered. Anyway, it's now pretty much all over for the diabolical plotters bar the big end of episode fight in the mirror room and evil Santa getting shot. Yes, they actually shot Santa on Christmas Day, at least in some ITV regions anyway. Only this Santa is, of course, that lovely janitor, uh, Dickens admirer, Brandon Story, unmasked in a very Scooby-Doo way. And he would have got away with it if it wasn't for this most dynamic of festive duos. Then, after a bit of nonsense with a tear gas pen, Steed and Emma Peel depart the episode in this week's mode of transport, which is a festive pony and trap, or perhaps it's a reindeer, seeing as it's called Prancer. As a Christmas piece, Too Many Christmas Trees does have all of the trimmings, but it's not overdone, which in certain television series is probably for the best, and I love it to bits. The Blue Carbuncle, however, is a genuine Christmassy treat and was always intended as such. This is a Sherlock Holmes tale from the pen of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and it is beautifully executed in the still-truly scrumptious Granada series, in an adaptation by Paul Finney, directed by David Carson. Unlike much other Holmesian fare, it is a relatively light-hearted tale of a valuable lost jewel and some Christmas geese, which includes some sparkling performances from a set of lovely actors, and gives some of the finest and most memorable moments that this lavish and lovingly made series produced. From the opening credits filmed on Granada's meticulously recreated Baker Street set, they used to do tours, you know, where I immediately start to wonder how old the cheeky kids at the shop window now are, to the closing credits, this is a work of art, and this episode remains a work of Christmassy art and a must-see annual festive treat. We open on a close-up of the carbuncle, a kind of blue ruby itself, and all shiny, cut and sparkling, but within it we see flashbacks of its brutal provenance until it is presented to the Countess of Morcar in her prime. We then jump cut to her looking older and far more tired as she travels back to the opulent Hotel Cosmopolitan 
from another Christmas shopping spree. She is played by Rosalind Knight, an actress with whom I was once very briefly acquainted as she was a friend of a friend's mother, and her return messes up the canoodling of her maid Catherine Cusack, played by Ross Simmons, and a hotel attendant, James Ryder, played by the one and only Ken Campbell. Ryder quickly bustles out the handyman, who he has ostensibly employed to fix the gas fire, one John Horner, a reformed criminal, as played with genuine honesty by Desmond McNamara, as her ladyship returns from her ordeal by shopping to have a bath. There is a scream as she discovers that the titular blue carbuncle has been gulp stolen. Very quickly, as John Horner gazes into a shop window with Jenny, his wife, picking out the children's Christmas presents, Amelda Brown, bravely appearing with complete dedication to historical accuracy given their poverty, almost without any makeup, plays the wife. He is arrested by Brian Miller's Inspector Bradstreet, even though he claims to be completely innocent. At Baker Street, we see a lot of street business, using that expensive outdoor set very nicely, as Dr. Watson is out and about on his own Christmas shopping expedition. This is still the original David Burke incarnation of Watson, nicely played as a vital, clever and rather dry-witted soul. Holmes, meanwhile, languishes in bed, only to be disturbed by one Mr. Peterson bearing a goose and a battered bowler hat in a very nice turn from Frank Mills. The wise Mrs. Peterson has sent him to resolve the mystery surrounding these items, although Holmes' exhortations for him to put down his goose as he searches for the first cigarette of the day is an utter joy. Jeremy Brett is immediately fabulous as Holmes, of course, and all of his little ticks and movements show that he's completely embedded himself within the character. Through a flashback, we learn how Mr. Peterson came to be in possession of the goose and the hat due to an altercation the night before, and whilst Holmes struggles to remain awake, in the end, Peterson is sent upon his way with an instruction to eat the goose. Meanwhile, the Countess is ranting at the inspector, and he suggests that she might offer a reward the subsequent news story of which draws the eyes of a returning Dr. Watson and is recounted from the papers by him. Holmes, meanwhile, is regarding the simple hat and, in what is, in my opinion at least, one of the finest scenes in the series, Holmes and Watson have a contest as to what can be deduced from said hat. Watson is, of course, sceptical about most of Holmes's deductions and conclusions, most of which, of course, turn out to be spot on. Peterson returns all of a fluster because the blue jewel has been discovered in the crop of the goose he was sent off to cook, and he seems genuinely astonished at the thousand pounds reward that he now seems eligible for, although if Holmes does intend to keep the carbuncle as he says, his payday does seem rather unlikely to actually happen. Still, the thousand pound stuff is rather nicely played, and via a swift advert in several evening papers, the plot moves on. Meanwhile in jail, as he pleads with his doubting wife that he is now on the straight, things are not looking too good for the Horners. Holmes and Watson are studying the jewel and recounting its dark history as one Mr. Henry Baker, formerly the possessor of both goose and hat, appears in response to their advert. He is played by Frank Middlemass, being basically lovely, and he confirms many of Holmes's deductions whilst being offered a replacement goose. In another flashback, we learn of the Christmas Goose Club at the Alpha Inn, which seems to be the nicest pub in the whole of London, given how they are usually portrayed in these things. The landlord seems a caring soul, and there's a genuine family feel among, amongst the regulars. Mr Baker has, it seems, sold his books as a seasonal sacrifice to bring joy to those we love, or, as the script puts it, even those we have married. Frank departs confirming the most outrageous of Holmes's deductions, and to the chagrin of Mrs. Hudson, dinner is delayed as Holmes and Watson head out for a game of Hunt That.
goose. In the Alpha Inn, we discover that Mr. Windygate got his geese from the market, and Dr. Watson comically fails to get his pint. And whilst things seem to get worse and worse for the Horners, help is at hand as Holmes meets the seriously pissed-off poulterer Mr. Breckenridge at the market, and, by a little bit of subterfuge based around a fictional wager, another delightful scene, Holmes deviously finds out where the geese were from, a Mrs. Oakshot. She is the sister of Ken Campbell's ever-so-seedy James Ryder, who saves Holmes and Watson a journey by returning to harangue Mr. Breckenridge once more about the wretched geese. They intercept him, and by displaying certain information, entice him back to the web of Baker Street and his downfall. After some banter about aliases and a magic trick involving a gas lamp, tales of a blue egg and the carbuncle itself, the game is up for Mr. Ryder and his dastardly accomplice who put him up to it, the maid, and, through yet another flashback, we discover how the goose came to swallow the jewel and much hilarity ensuing over a case of mistaken goose identity. In this, Mrs. Oakshot is played by the fabulous Maggie Jones, who turned up in just about everything at some time or other, and had a very lengthy career, being rather brilliant at no-nonsense northern women. Ryder grovels his way into a remorse-filled confession, and with a cold, Get out! No more words! Get out! is sent on his way, unpunished by Holmes, who justifies his position by saying that he may have saved a soul. Then, before they manage to sit down for their cold supper as Christmas Day arrives, they remember to inform the police that Horner is innocent, and the episode closes with the Horner family reunited outside the prison in the snow. I absolutely adore this adaptation of The Blue Carbuncle, although I do also enjoy the 1960s BBC version. This is the one to which I return each year simply because it's played with such gusto and joy. This pairing of Holmes and Watson are a delight, and whilst the birds do have terrible things done to them off-screen, as does tend to happen to such birds at this time of the year, it remains a lovely tale, even if some of the plotting leaves a lot to be desired if you think about it too closely. If Holmes keeps the jewel in his museum, does Peterson get his thousand pounds? Why did Ryder sneak the jewel away to hide it in a bird, only to then immediately kill the bird? How does Holmes convince the police to release Horner? Does James Ryder actually flee abroad? Why does Horner not know his children's names? Do the villains remain in the employ of the Countess? And what future did Catherine Cusack envision for herself with James Ryder? And why did she consider this oily toe-rag to be a bit of a catch? Well, this matters, of course, because it's beautifully told and gives a little bit of insight into the ordinary lives and normal London folk, which is often ignored in favour of ghastly, fog-filled nightmare visions of the wretched hive of scum and villainy that those Victorian streets are often portrayed as. And now, after a sudden realisation I made in the summer, I became aware that the first episode of Quatermass and the Pit was broadcast on the 22nd of December in 1958, and therefore it now earns its place as a Christmas special in my book, and will henceforth have to occupy another slot in the annual Christmas schedule at Holmes Towers. We begin in Hobbs Lane, SW1, where location footage of a satisfyingly diverse cast finds a group of workmen uncovering some human remains as they dig the foundations of a new office building. But that's another story. Merry Christmas. Thank you very much to Mr. Martin Holmes yes, for doing you, Martin. Too Many Christmas Trees and the Blue Carbuncle. Yes. 
indeed. Very Christmassy uh, episodes. Indeed. Uh, now we're going to do uh, the Royal Institution Christmas Lectures from 1977. We are. As presented by Carl Sagan. Yes. Right then. Okay. Do you know all about Mars now? I know a bit more about Mars. Mm. Yes. So Carl Sagan... Know that Carl likes to throw marbles at things. <laughs> well, we're talking about that, yeah. But Carl Sagan's fourth lecture is on Mars before Viking. So uh, this is Christmas... Uh, 1977 stroke New Year 78 Is that because there was 10 of them that went on into the New Year? No there's actually 6 6? Yeah uh, However many I would have been Mm 9 and he says it takes you one year to get to Mars and a year seems a long time It does seem a long Mm -hmm. time doesn't it? Yeah but you forget that um, as he points out it depends where Mars is because um it could be 50 million miles away from the Earth, or it can be 150 million miles away from the Earth, what, depending, depending, where depending on where it is in its yeah. orbit. Yeah. Okay. And you could, unfortunately, land during the middle of a sandstorm. Well, you, <laughs> and not yes. see anything. Not see anything. So, yeah, yeah this, is, this is all about the sort of mariner probes, as they were called, of, of the sort of 60s and early 70s. And one of the first things Carl gets out is a little model <laughs> of, the, of the spaceship, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. And it's all got these wonderful things on it, like a, a satellite dish and solar mm. panels and things mm-hmm. like that. And I was just saying to you, well, you've got those on your house now. Yeah. Mm. Well, we haven't. We've got a satellite dish, but it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> and it's got, a com- it's got a computer on board as well. Yeah. And I, I just love the fact that, you know, all this technology has become very, so commonplace now. As a matter of fact, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, at the, at the time this would have been exciting, sort of you know, um, sort of really out there in terms of sort of technological achievement. But you know, forty years later, mm-hmm. we've all got one. Yeah, um, yeah. All this sort of Martian probe stuff is is um, directed from the Jet Propulsion Lab via radio telescopes, uh-huh. and I, I always like the thing that. Somewhere on the Earth, there'll be a radio telescope that can be pointing Mars. Mars. in the right direction. Point, yeah. Yeah, it's not like you're just doing it from one telescope and you can't do it for half a day because <laughs> it's it's got sort of nowhere near it. Um, but yes, yeah, so we're we're talking about sort of me- meteors. Uh, meteor crater mm. is an example on Earth of the cratering you get on the Moon and on Mars. Mm-hmm. So, of course we get the first of our demonstrations and i always love the demonstrations in these these sort yeah. of things because they're quite they're quite simple mm. but it'll call upon like two or three kids that's the, the whole point of making something engaging isn't yeah it? From, from the audience yeah. he, he's quite a pied piper to that certain extent <laughs> isn't he and he's got a tray full of what could be putty or something i'm yeah. not entirely yes. sure what it is mm. and he gives them a load of marbles to chuck so, about yeah. lob them at it yeah. yeah not all of which go in the in the mud <laughs> no. you can hear something hit the floor and uh... <laughs> you can see the assistants taking cover behind desks yes. and things yeah but if I was at the, one of these lectures, my hand would definitely go up to... Yeah. Even if I didn't know what I was quite being called upon to do, I, mm-hmm. I, I'd, I'd want to get involved. And you said to me, Warren, um, that you found him sort of an engaging speaker as well. Very much so. Very um, much so. So if you were in that audience, you'd pay attention. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the hand, like yourself, the hand would be going up. Yeah. You wouldn't know what you'd be letting yourself in for, <laughs> but your hand would be going up, yeah. Well, they're not allowed to do anything too dangerous 
But even so, there's the odd thing that I, I did wonder whether would pass sort of health and safety these days, mm. mostly involving the vo- volcano demonstrations. Yes, that was so close to the um, to, to the audience, wasn't it? Yeah, because they, they, again, they, they sort of wheel on this sort of thing with, with black powder in some Yeah, sort of... it's, it's, it's all sparks coming out of the top of it. <laughs> Great big plumes of smoke going up into the rafters. I was <laughs> waiting for him to make the comment we're about to set the fire alarms off or something like that. Yeah, yeah well, that that's the thing. that I, I, I don't... I assume they had smoke alarms there but, but perhaps I'd, not no, but not this then. is 1977 I, I really don't know probably just mm. open the vents in the ceiling <laughs> let it all out yeah but it, it's one of those things that um it would be really useful to us astronomers these days if we could observe a meter uh, a crater actually forming on the moon um because it would be it would be fascinating to see Thank you, Lisa, for turning my page. Um, but there is some evidence that um, we've talked about this before. The, yes. the 1178 mm-hmm. impact on the moon is the only sort of observed impact event in re- recorded history. Is that the Giordano Bruno, Bruno one? That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and that's mentioned in Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World as well and in the Cosmos series. But yeah, I'd, I'd love to actually have some footage of it happening in real time because it, it, would, it would be really helpful for science to see that happen and it is overdue i think it's about time it it happened mm. <laughs> it's a big chunk of the moon fly off no no it would just you know just create a nice impacted sort of, round crater yeah with a raised lip and yeah we yeah. could we can actually see how it would, it would happen but he's talking about um how craters on mars are named after dead people and <laughs> fortunately there are a lot of dead people, people are, yes <laughs> so you've got you've got ones named after sort of lowell, lowell and huxley and hg wells mm-hmm. as you said warren um when the probes got there at first it was a cloudy day <laughs> there was a dust storm yeah. wasn't there that's right yeah it's like going on holiday somewhere and all it does is rain mm. it's 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 just a, a seaside victorian seaside town hasn't it and yeah. it's an overcast day but they've got some pictures of what eventually get called north spot middle spot and south spot <laughs> though the suggestion was they'd be called groucho harpo and i've forgotten the name of the other ones <laughs> oh chico he said i love the fact he can't quite remember all the marx brothers but yeah they're saying about sort of if you see a dark smudge with a hole in it could it be a volcano, volcano yeah. mm-hmm. and there's the picture of Olympus Mons, Mount Olympus. Um, didn't, doesn't didn't Brown Blessed want to climb Olympus Mons? Yeah, yeah, mad fool. <laughs> <laughs> I've flown up it in Frontier Elite, the computer game, because mm. you can actually land on Mars, fly mm. about in your spaceship, and go up the sides of it, and it is very tall. It'd have been banned by the Queen anyway. She's banned him from climbing Everest anymore. Has she? Yes. Oh, We're not that. going to climb Everest anymore, are you? I get terribly worried about you. <laughs> But yeah, Olympus Mons is something like 30 kilometres high, which is much bigger than anything on the Earth. Um, there's some talk about polar caps and the sort of changes you observe them from week mm-hmm. to week. And poker chips, he says, poker that chips, these yeah. things that resemble poker chips. And what is it you said, Warren? I love the fact that he assumes that kids know what poker, poker chips, chips are because they're all down the gambling den every night. Um, <laughs> river valleys. Um, sort yeah, of river valleys that aren't river valleys. Yeah, yeah. So, is there is there evidence of running water on Mars at at some time? Well, this is the question of the great question, isn't there? Yeah. Were there ever 
canals on Mars. And again, he gets a sort of demonstration um, involving some running water. He's sort of slightly disturbed by the sound of it. I don't know whether he yes. meant he wanted to go for a pee, a pee or, not. or not. Yeah, but he makes the point that atmospheric pressure on Mars um, is so low that water, if you put a, a jug of water out, it's it would boil. Away, yeah. yeah. So that's the thing in Marco Polo when they say about you go up a mountain mm. and it boils at a lower temperature, which is why you can't make decent tea halfway up a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. Um, and talk about the, the Earth's polar caps and how they've changed over sort of millions of years. And all, all of this is to do with climate change, ba- basically, isn't yeah. it? Mm-hmm. And the sort of observation that if you observe it on one planet... It's going to happen it's happening somewhere yeah. else. You, you've got yeah. to be aware it's going to happen yeah. in other planets, yeah. including this one. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's and it's not rocket science, yeah. is it? No. And for 1977, he says this in so matter-of-fact way... Yeah. That it's you know it's worrying that people still argue about it yes. to this day, yeah. and those people somewhat can be somewhat influential, shall yes. we say? Mm. But, um, yes. Yeah. So that's that, that's worrying that you know I think for the sort of group of kids that were there, we'll probably remember that. We'll probably remember yeah. that, and uh, you know to them it's probably entirely natural that that way of thinking. But for some people. Perhaps sitting in a few more lectures might be a good idea, mm-hmm. <laughs> shall we say. But yeah, there's, there's all the talk about um, the temperature really plummets at night, UV light I'm, I'm gets through. I'm how far it did plummet. Yeah, oh, mm-hmm. it gets very nippy on Mars. Yeah, more than a couple of woolly pullies there, I'll tell you. <laughs> and then in the experiment with Mars jars, as they're called. I love that idea, Mars jars, yes. So that's, that's a, a vessel that would simulate the Martian environment. Yeah. And astonishingly, some microbes do actually Still exist, survive yeah. on that. Well, it was the case, wasn't it? They're, they're various will and various won't, isn't it? Depends upon that. Hmm. Then there's some talk about like Martian wind, which made you laugh for some reason. I don't know why you laugh at wind, but um, ah. and they get their wind machine out to blow some sand about, mm-hmm. blinding the assistant. You <laughs> can't get the the um, the screen up quick enough, can't you? And uh, wind on Mars can go to two hundred. To 300 miles an hour and produce all sorts of streaks um and then it's almost like cutting through somebody wouldn't it yeah mm-hmm. yeah you wouldn't want to be sort of exposed to that and then there's a feature which are sometimes called the pyramids of mars and you thought that was just a doctor who story didn't you had you actually heard of this before i'd never heard of that before no no, no. I, I had heard of it because I discovered them not long before, didn't I? Yeah. Which influenced the title of the um, story. But that's the thing, <coughs> that's the thing that, um, you know, we've sent probes to Mars and we've got things moving about on Mars, but it's still a very big place. Yeah. And with no oceans as well, there's an awful lot of stuff to to explore. And it's very, very much the case. You look, If you've got a little machine trundling around over the next horizon is completely unknown territory. Oh, yeah, For example, Carl's talking there about one side of Mars is, is potted and cratered, mm. and the other side, as you'll see, is um, smooth, and it's almost virgin-like territory. It's, it's new, isn't it? But that, that's the thing that people, sort of, when they write science fiction, tend to forget. They, they tend to think a planet is the same all the way across. Oh, yeah, exactly. and And it's not. Um, even somewhere like Mars, there's an awful lot of difference from one place to yep. another. You, you you travel sort of 100 miles 
and you're in somewhere completely and utterly Absolutely, different. Yeah. And that that's very very interesting. Um but what did you make of that as a as a lecture though? Um as a lecture mm. I would if I was at that age group and in the audience I would find it highly engaging. In yeah. fact I still find it highly engaging now. Um he reaches out and he plants little seeds in your mind and yeah. in, and um even if it's just through a, a simple practical example you're drawn in like the salesman you're drawn in you want to know more yeah uh, i i said to you the pied piper didn't i <laughs> because he draws his audience in and he holds court yeah and you hang on everything carl wants to tell you he's a wonderful orator he's, he he delivers so much information and so much knowledge but in that short period of time makes me want to go go away after the lecture and go want to read more about that yeah well there is a book um from the royal institution 13 journeys through space and time and that covers some of the other lectures there is some stuff on carl's one though and um these are the i said these are late 77 these lectures happen um, but the BBC actually write to him in a, le- in a letter dated the 12th of February 1976. So it's the best part of two years beforehand. They're sort of <laughs> checking him out uh, about it. And he, he's, he wants to talk, they, they want him to talk about exobiology. So biology off the earth, yeah. as, as it were. In space. In space, space biology. So he suggests planetary exploration would actually give him more to talk about. Yeah. So he sort of actually comes back and said no we should do it on on this um and i've got a a copy of his um flight ticket here um and apparently it costs 638 pounds <laughs> to get to get to fly him over um there's a le- there's a letter from uh, sir george porter who's the director um, of the Royal Institution, dated the nineteenth of December, nineteen seventy-seven. I'd just like to read it out because it's, it's it's rather fun. Welcome to London and the Royal Institution. I hope the trip was comfortable and that you have a good night's sleep so that you are ready for the rigours of tomorrow. <laughs> Your expenses await you at the Royal Institution, and you can collect them from the bursar David Miller at any time. You will be interested to know that you have a very distinguished audience indeed for the first lecture, since it will be attended by. TRH, I think that's their Royal Highnesses, uh, the Prince Andrew and the Prince Edward, HRH, the Duke of Kent, our President, and the Duke of Kent's oldest son, the Earl of St Andrews. Who's that? It's the Earl of St Andrews. Thank you. My wife and I are having a special tea party at 4pm after the first lecture, uh, which we hope the princes will attend and have the chance of meeting you. It will only last half an hour or so, and I have asked the BBC to see that you have no other commitments at this time. Looking forward to seeing you tomorrow. All best wishes. I have to say, oh. you know, you asked me the Earl of St Andrews. I have no knowledge of that layer of, of oh, you're not of that good royals. No, no, they're, they're they're sort of minor royals of their cousins. All so. right, but George Porter is 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 worth talking about because he did the lectures in 1969, mm-hmm. which were on top. <coughs> excuse me which were on time. Mm-hmm. And if you'll just hold the recorder, Lisa. Okay, okay thank you. Yeah. Um, if I find the 1969 lectures, there's, there's a letter um, from George Porter to the BBC 
about what he wants to do with his lecture on time and it's it's very faded this letter now so it's a little hard to read but he said i would however plan to have a doctor who type time machine making use of your devilish, devilishly clever camera tricks both in the first lecture and the last one so the connection will be obvious Ooh. and i've got a picture of the time machine which is basically a big box mm -hmm. <laughs> um with a dial on it that says past present and future there it's it a little is. bit vague, isn't it? Yeah, and there's a, there's a sort of an assistant. Giant war machine. There's yeah. an assistant it does look like stood a war inside machine. it. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, you can't see these lectures because these are some of the missing ones. Oh. Um, so there's been sort of some stuff um, sort of recently sort of publicising the fact that some of these, unfortunately, are missing. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, the the missing ones... Uh, go all the way up to 1973 when there's a David Attenborough one. Mm -hmm. uh, animals. Now there's 1966, 67, 69, 70 and 71. Um, Engineer in Wonderland, The Intelligent Eye, Time Machines. That's George mm -hmm. Porter's one. Monkeys Without Tails. Okay. It's not just about monkeys without tails. Okay. That would be a very... Right. Yeah. It, it says monkeys a, that can't tell stories. No, it's A Giraffe's Eye View of Man. 1971 is Sounds of Music, The Science of Tones and Tunes, and the David Attenborough yeah. one, mm. The Language of Animals. Mm. So, as the Royal Institution have, have said, um, make a search through your attic or basement to see if you've got them. <laughs> oh, I'm very I th British. I think, I think they're holding... your shed. Yes. I think they're holding mm. out. Ask your older relatives if they might have copies. Oh, goodness me, what's this Betamax cassette? Spread the word about the campaign on social media using the hashtag Missing Xmas Lectures. Wow. So, it's amazing they've only just discovered this. Yeah. yeah. What do you mean you don't have all oh, of them? Look in your rarely used cupboards to see if you have a recorded <laughs> copy of any of the missing lectures. They're rarely all used of the cupboards. Master plan. <laughs> <laughs> so I think they're. Not only, but also. Yeah, oh, there they are. I think they're a little hopeful, to, be, to yes. be honest. Cause, but what a twee British way to do things. But yeah, it? yeah. It's, all, it's all very low, low key, isn't they live it? In, they live in hope. Yes. yes. Would you mind awfully having a look in your cupboard? This is where they turn up in Sierra Leone. Yes. <laughs> but unfortunately, it's very unlikely because yes. they were ve they, they were very much just for the home market. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I certainly remember watching watching them sort of at, at Christmas I do, when yeah. I was young, mm -hmm. and they were very much part of that Christmas routine. Um, but I think the Carl Sagan ones are, are very good and still very relevant. Yeah. Um, well, eventually, the one we were watching, uh, the, the one we've, we've just seen with, with the, um, the, the the climate change. Mm. Mm. Well, that's the thing. Watching them age nine, um, the 21st century seemed so far so away. So far away. And, you know, you were de you thought, well, when I'm 50, people will have will, will be living on Mars. You know, that that's the sort of thing you thought they that there will be bases on there and sadly it hasn't happened um and i think we need a few more people like carl sagan um giving these sort of lectures to sort of you know engage people again because yeah. um, i do get the feeling that sort of that sort of planetary exploration it happens and it still occurs but i don't think it fires up people as much as it, perhaps it should I these days let technology overwhelm us hmm with lazy, what I would call lazy technology. Yeah. And lazy technology, I mean, uh, the, the use to which we put the internet. Yeah. Or 
games yeah. or something that takes us away from exploring more ourselves. Yeah. We're more happy to sit at home and look at pictures on Instagram, what have you, to do with the subject matter. Yeah. But we do not want to put that foot outside that door and start looking up at the skies and remapping and exploring that way again. And I think we need to start, go back to that, take that one f step forward, leave behind the technology that's holding us back but use the technologies is going to be marvelous. Push us forward. Look at those frontiers and look up to the sky and go. Look at this map. That's really let's revisit the map of, of the sky. I mean, I remember the Voyager probe mm. series that it was going to visit Jupiter, Saturn, and so on, and that sort of because I I remember the th the thing that it would be every few years they'll reach another planet and we'll get data from it just that little bit of a um of this huge jigsaw we have just that little tiny yes yeah. is it a piece of sky is it a piece of land and and, and and that sort of i you know yeah. I, I remember looking forward to the next planet you know in like five or six years time and sort of i remember being at sort of sixth form reading astronomy magazine about i think it must have been sort of uranus or something or wherever they reached by, by that point and um thinking back to you know when i remember these sort of being talked about all those years ago so i think that's that's, that's lovely the way it, it it sort of had it was a thread through sort of your your life and we don't really have a project like that going now no. you know unfortunately now if it doesn't make uh, government's money no they don't do it because there was there's been a lot of stuff in the press recently about the um i think it was a leader of Ofsted or something like that they said about that ultimately people that do arts degrees mm. are wasting their time because right. it's not necessarily going to provide them with a job but lots of people pointed out that if you don't have people doing arts degrees we won't have people making films or painting pictures or making television programs and it's the same with science if we don't have people doing science things we won't discover these things do you think we suffer them for the fact that nasa's had its its budget sort of crippled, hasn't yes. it? Almost destroyed. Yeah. Because we don't go to the moon anymore, no. right? which is great, because let's look a bit further beyond. However, um, there's nothing to stop us going back to the moon and working from there. But I, I think, to a certain extent, the political message, and I'm sorry to make it politicised, is uh, stay at home, let's not expound, expand our boundaries. There's a heck of a lot of knowledge out there to learn. Let's go out and learn it. Uh, politics be damned. We're, we're a natural race to want to go out and learn. Let's 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 broaden. Let's broaden our knowledge. Well, that's the thing. I mean, this is very much you know, we did Star Trek the other, the other issue, the other issue, and Star Trek was very much that thing about exploring the universe, wasn't it? That you know, there's a there's a lot out there to learn. Um, and just by going out there, that that exploration itself is is a is a good thing. I think by by the exploration, it shows how petty our squabbles are down here on Earth. And the more that you can highlight that, the more that perhaps we can deal with it a lot easier. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we're all made of stardust. Oh yes, absolutely. We, the old <laughs> Carl thing. But yeah, lovely to see him again. Yes, oh, and it's um, it's amazing because I you know when I first watched Cosmos. You sort of get hooked up on his accent, yeah, because it's a quite a strange accent. Mm. But it's amazing how quickly you just listen to what listen he's saying, to what he's not, saying not and how not he's how saying, he's saying it. it yes, yeah. yeah. But yeah, these are all 
online on the Royal Institution website so you can watch them mm-hmm. um, for free. Well worth doing. Yeah. yeah. They're from s- some slightly shonky VHS copies <laughs> by the look of it, but you can't have everything. No. But yeah, well worth seeing and uh, well worth spending some time with, I think. Yes. Oh. Okay. Thank you for introducing me to those. That's all right. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Ideal presents for all the family this Christmas. From BBC Videos, the very best in entertainment. Monty Python's Flying Circus. The fascinating Life on Earth series. And the award-winning Box of Delights. There's festive music on BBC Records and Cassettes with the magical voice of Alec Jones. Experience the unique sound of Eric Clapton from the series Edge of Darkness. Or just sing along with the EastEnders. Enjoy a good read with BBC books, including the spectacular Kingdom of the Ice Bear, The Triumph of the West, and from a new natural history series, The Living Isles. Videos, records and books, something for everyone this Christmas from the BBC. Paddington. Yes. At Christmas. At Christmas, sort of. Well, you've got a DVD with, what, 12 episodes on it, which claims to be... Yes. Um, Christmassy type episodes. Yes. Well, it says Paddington's Christmas. Yeah, and of those, three are Christmassy at a stretch. Yeah. Well, two are Christmassy. One's got one's snow got in snow it. One's got snow in it. Yeah. And we tend to have yes. snow after Christmas. We do. Don't we? If we get snow at all. Yeah. Yeah. Last last this year rather. Yeah, we we, we had snow had in snow. March, didn't we? So yeah. yeah. Uh, but the first episode on the disc. Mm-hmm. Is simply called Christmas, yes. broadcast on the 29th of December 1976, taken from the book More About Paddington mm-hmm. in 1959. Yes. And Paddington, it's his first Christmas. It's his first Christmas with the Browns. Yeah. And yes. He wakes up and yeah. his, his sack is sort of it's, filled it's, with. His, his pillowcase, which <laughs> has been told to him at the end of his bed. Stop laughing at the word sack. You used it for that purpose. Yeah. Um, yeah. The. the um, what is that meant to be on that place? Sorry, we've got the episode running that in the background. That was his turkey. Yeah, but what's the white stuff? Is it mashed potato? I suppose it's so. like meringue. We'll deal with that in a minute. Um, yeah, anyway, he's... He gets three he's presents. He gets three presents in his pillowcase. Yeah. Um, a chemistry set, which is just asking for trouble. If I you had know. a chemistry set. We'll talk about that in okay. a minute. Um, a xylophone. Yeah. And ding, 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 <laughs> ding. Yes. And a scrapbook. Yeah. And he gets glue for the scrapbook and manages to glue Mr. Brown to the floor. So, as you said, it's a noisy thing, yep. a sticky thing, thing, and a thing that might blow up the well, house. Yes. Although, I have I have to be fair, mm-hmm. chemistry sets that you could buy in the 70s yep. were weedy. Would, would, would not blow up the house. Right, okay. I had one, mm-hmm. and yes, you had a little tiny burner that you put mm-hmm. sort of paraffin in or something like okay. that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you had things like sort of sodium thiosulfate and, yeah. and, and sort of stuff like that. But there was nothing that would could cause an explosion. Okay, are well, we standing on his head now? Because I think he swallowed... He said there was a bone in the Christmas pudding mm. and it was a fivepence. And you think, <laughs> they think he swallowed the fivepence. So they're doing what Brunel did when he swallowed a coin, a coin and standing on his head. Well, he didn't yeah. actually stand on his head. He, he invented a machine to shake the coin out, didn't he? <laughs> But I, I love Paddington's xylophone because mm. he like plays the national anthem. Yes, he's very, he's a very patriotic bear. <laughs> it doesn't sound like the national. anthem. It doesn't anthem really sound like the national anthem. Perhaps it's the Peruvian national anthem. I don't know. He does come from darkest Peru. I was going to say we've had a few listeners in Peru. We have. Yeah, we according have. to our. Yes, yes. Keep saying it's Aunt Lucy listening to the Paddington stuff. Yeah, uh, but it's just interesting the way that these sort of three vaguely Christmassy ones as you, as you say mm-hmm. um, Trouble at number 32 is the one with the snow yes and that's broadcast on the 23rd of December yes 
But Paddington and the Christmas Shopping mm-hmm. is actually broadcast on the 5th of May 1976. Yes. So it, it's an awful... If you actually watch them in order... Yeah. There's an awful huge gap between, between him going sh- yeah. Christmas shopping and... Yeah. Uh, and, and Paddington's starting his Christmas shopping very early. Yeah. Yes. Well, I, I suppose it's sort of, you know, yes. being being on the ball, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, but we should talk about the animation. We've talked we about should. Paddington we have before. talked about Paddington before. The way yes. that Paddington's 3D and everybody else is 2D. He's 2D, yes. But now... We've just done our Christmas tree, haven't we? Have we have today, yes. And Martin Holmes has been very kind enough mm-hmm. to provide us with um, some 2D Christmas decorations yes. based on you, me, Warren, Paul and Warren. And Warren, yes. Mm. <laughs> How does it feel to be a Christmas decoration? Slightly odd, but... A- yeah. As though you were like yeah. sort of Mrs Bird or yes. something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we've, mm-hmm. we've put those up. So let, let's just... Uh, Let's just bung number you, trouble at number thirty-two. You should have put play on. all on, shouldn't you? And it would I should have done, but mm. never mind. Trouble at number thirty-two is the one where it snows. Yes. Um, and Paddington's alarmed because he looks out the window and comes downstairs. It's gone white outside because obviously he comes from Peru, yeah. and you probably don't get snow in Peru. You probably do on the mountains, but probably not where he comes. He's from. not seen snow before. But I do think of like when our cat sees yes. snow. Yeah. And I don't know whether they remember it from year to Possibly year. Possibly not, not, no. I really don't know <laughs> how their yeah. sort of minds work. Normally what happens with the... Well, not so much with Rose. Rose will go out in the snow. Martha tends to be carried outside, carried around the garden, and Show, then bought, shown, shown the snow and brought back in again. Does she not even get her feet no, right? No, It's like there's a picture on the internet, which is it's just, it's like the cutest... Um, Cutie's point about going out to snow, and it's just a footprint, and like, no, <laughs> <laughs> wasn't there a thing about ducks the other day? Yes, that yes a load of was, ducks they, came, they out. came out of a shed, and it was snowing, and they went, Oh no, and it went back in again. It was very sweet, but yeah, Paddington's going to clear the sort of garden. Of, yes, he's clearing the garden. He clears the I like front. his scarf because yeah. he's got a red and Yellow scarf, scarf on, yeah. as though he were like Tom Baker yeah. or something like yeah. that. Yeah, he's clearing the front garden out for Mr. Brown, so with, we can get his car with out. With a tiny spade that with you the take down the beach. Spade, yeah. And then he's going to clean the back garden out, and then he thinks he'll be nice and call it, clean Mr. Carey's garden out. I don't know why, because Mr. Carey's never nice to him. <laughs> Mr. Carey takes advantage of him all the time. How does his fence work? I don't know, it's sort of got a sliding he, he, panel. He, he, yeah, there's a bit yeah. of the fence that you can yeah. pull up. And it's he like can a go, secret entrance. Because we could do with that. With, we could. With, cause we could, because our, our gas and electricity meters are on our wall, but it's in our next-door neighbour's garden. Yeah, so we have to go round to next door and yeah. say, can we re- take a meeting, a meeting for our reader? <laughs> <laughs> can we take a reading for our meter? Yes. I don't know what our reader is, but... <laughs> Um, yeah, but we don't need to now because no, we've got a we've got a smart meter. A smart meter, but mm. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, Paddington sort of goes next door and sort yes. of offers to clean up. Well, he doesn't offer; he just well, does he just it. does it. He just does it. Yeah, and then he sees that Mister Curry's door is yeah, so he shuts the door because uh, he doesn't then, want the cold air getting inside. Yeah, so Mister yeah. Curry gets immediately locked out, out, yeah. and stuck in his own garden. Yes. But he deserves it because he's mean. You're not keen on Mr. Curry, no, then? not in it? this version. No. No. In the films, Peter Capaldi obviously plays Mr. Curry, and he's slightly grumpy and a little bit um, obnoxious. Mm. But basically, he's got a good heart, because in the first film, he, he makes the anonymous phone call, doesn't he, to save Paddington after he's been kidnapped. Hello! Bear napped. It's an anonymous phone call. It's Mr. Curry! 
excuse me but uh um what, what have we got now uh well we're still in trouble at number 32 at i moment. know but we don't we don't need to do a dvd commentary yeah. right next one's uh, chris paddington and the christmas and shopping the christmas shopping now that's quite good because mm. it's um it's in some sort of posh yes Store, it's it's isn't sort of it? the Paddington World version of Harrods or Selfridges or something. Or isn't Grace it? Brothers, or Grace frankly. Because it starts with Paddington goes. He, he goes. And he, he, he gets a tie pin up his ass. Yeah, well, he, he goes in and gets chucked out because he goes in the doors because they've got revolving doors and he goes in too quickly. When's the last time we went in revolving doors? Wasn't there that wasn't a the Panopticon? Time. There was one Panopticon, yes. And it was. They, they were the. They, that was they were the, the doors that moved. The, the you had to, yes, you had to get in, with, sort of go with the flow, didn't you? Because when so, we went with yeah. Sheardy for yes. lunch... Yes, he, he, <laughs> he sort of steered me in, didn't he? Come on! Yes. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, well, you were a bit unsure about yeah. those doors. Yeah, well, they move! Just <laughs> <laughs> so. imagine like, getting trapped in the revolving yes. doors with Sheard. Um, but... <laughs> Because we had to keep going in and out because yes. we had to go to like, was it what was the shop across the road? Uh, it was a Marks and Spencer's because they had cheap sandwiches. Yeah, because it they? was yes, as you say, it was a Hilton. It was in London. It was really expensive. And by Sunday afternoon, people were just blatantly walking in with Marks and Spencer's bags full of sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but oh yeah, we're on to the next episode now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I sort of did think of it as Grace Brothers because mm. they've got very posh assistants who I did think of mm. as. Uh, Captain Peacock. Or oh, something. like yes, floor walkers. Floor isn't walkers. It? That's, yeah. what, that's what they're yeah. called. And basically, he goes in there to buy Mrs. Bird an extend expandable or extending washing line. Yeah, which seems a very expensive place to go. Now, it says for a a, it line. says there's a hundred yards. Yes, of, uh, of washing. washing line in this box, yes. and I don't believe that for a moment because mm-hmm. you see the size of the box. Yes, and. No, unless it's dimensionally transcendental, I don't believe it at all. Um, but it's that thing that it's that old sort of polite mm. store thing. Yes, that the customer is always to be called sir, sir isn't yes. it? And especially yeah. if he's wearing a diamond yes. tie pin, which he is because he's found it outside in the street. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, he immediately sort of ends up in the crockery department, yes. doesn't he? Yes. And there's just like sounds of of crashing, crash. and you're like, oh goodness, because <laughs> he basically takes the washing line and he's pulling it to see how long it is, yeah. and then he just gets it wrapped around everything, yeah. people, doors, <laughs> crockery, everything. But eventually, yeah. he runs into the owner of yeah. the of the, of the tie, tie pin, pin yeah. who's like Lord or Sir or whatever Sir. he is. Did it not say on the It doesn't say on the list on the list now when yeah. we'd need the subtitles we'd, to see. Well it. I don't think it's got subtitles. Have you got have you got the, the book? I've got the it's story, based yes. on Let me just see. Uh Paddington and the Christmas shopping. Yes. Also from more about Paddington. More about Paddington, yes, hang on. There we are. Paddington and the Christmas shopping. I'm just Okay, there you go. It. There's so, some nice pictures right. of Paddington with his yes. uh with his duffel coat on. With his bits on. So, right. It's remarkable okay. how long these stories are, They though. are quite long, yeah. Uh, oh, he gets a bullseye in a bloke's ear, doesn't he? a bullseye he? in the assistant's ear. He's sucking on a bullseye. A bullseye. That li- made me think of Sergeant Cork. He likes bullseyes. Does he? Yeah, yeah. right. So, so you're saying that, like, Paddington and Sergeant Cork would get on well together? I think they would, yeah. Okay. So. But, yeah, who's who's the owner of I'm the... I'm just trying to o- find it. I type. don't think this is actually... Of the type in, no? No, no, it's not, that's an extra. 
He just says it's... Um, Sir Gresham Gibbs. Sir Gresham there you go. Gibbs. I think they might change the name now, but yeah. I don't know. But, but yeah, as as a sort of um, typical Paddington, Paddington episodes go... Yes. Um, okay, we've moaned that the set isn't necessarily uh, the sort of the fullest... No. Christmassy sort of package in the world. But you do get some season two ones as well. You do, and I, I probably have seen them, but I don't remember because it's a different title sequence, isn't it? Which is The Adventures of Paddington. Yeah. Um, so the the original series runs 1976, and then the second season runs uh, 1979-1980. And right, I said okay. to you, you can spot how it's changed. Mm-hmm. in. You've got a new title sequence because... It's all to do with his, like, suitcase, yes. isn't it? Yes. Um, uh, but they do sort of... It looks slightly more expensive. It does. Because you get it camera does. moves yes. on sort of animated shots of Paddington. Mm-hmm. It's like the camera pulls back yeah. or zooms in. Yeah. So. I don't know if they've used a different bear as well. His face he looks does a look different. different. Yes, that's yeah. the thing. Yeah. But I suppose it's like sort of three, four years later. So yes. maybe he would look different. Yeah. I don't know. It's almost as though he's like... He's aged. He's maturing. Yeah. Aww. So yeah, he, he is that little bit, hmm. that little bit older. Because the, uh, um, yeah, the the last episode is trouble at trouble at number no sorry is Christmas twenty ninth of December nineteen seventy six, mm-hmm. and then the new series starts again in uh, October seventy nine. Okay. So yeah, if you, mm. if you sort of you know do take it seriously, he's, he, he's he aged is, by about he two is years. Effectively, three years older, Aww. so that does allow for him yes. to be different. But yeah. and we do have a Paddington. We have a we have I have various Paddingtons. Yeah. Got a um, a film Paddington, two film Paddingtons, a standing up Paddington, Wellington Boots, who's actually fallen over at the moment. I really must stand him up. <laughs> and a BBC Paddington, which is, is the the version we've been looking at, because yeah. he's BBC Paddington's got a black hat. And all the others have red hats. Okay. So there is a difference. Yes. Okay. Well, there you go. Yes. There's Paddington at Christmas then. But yes, I mean not especially Christmassy, but it's it's sixty minutes of fun with Paddington, getting sticky and, and um various other adventures. So what more could you want? Yeah. Okay. See you for something else then. Okay. A reminder that we've entertainment all night long with the contemporary video sounds from the music box beginning at 12.35. First, though, we music for Christmas. Hi there, I'm Crazy Ben Baker from Crazy Ben Baker's Books, and I positively, absolutely, totally, emphatically got a book for you. It's... <clears throat> no, 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 I'm sorry, that, that's making my skin hurt. Hello, I'm Ben Baker, and I'm very bad at promoting my own material, as evidenced by this awkward gap here. <clears throat> Moving on. Who am I? Well, I'm an amiable British chap in his 30s from the north of England who writes books and almost never annexes the Sudeten land in his spare time. Sometimes those books are quiz collections, and at the moment I have foreign general knowledge, TV, pop and film, and sometimes I write about retro telly. One book, Kill Your Television, is my personal love letter to the forgotten and never remembered in the first place, with articles on the likes of Round the Bend, Lost Pilot Episodes, The 8.15 from Manchester, Number 73 in the Best Saturday Morning Shows, Dying on Your Ass with Comic Relief, Rita Rudner, Russian Daytime TV, The Paramount Channel and its Teletext Service, DJ Cat, and even Benny Hill's Madcap Chase with ZX Spectrum. 
But today I'm here to lightly plug my book, Festive Double Issue, 40 Years of Christmas TV. As the Radio Times homage cover suggests, it's my personal tribute to all things televisual and Christmassy from the past, with red pen in one hand, waiting to ring all the best shows in your TV magazine of choice. Personally for me, I do always choose the Radio Times, even though, as we all know by now, it costs £78.30 an issue, and has the same bloody drawing of the snowman on it from last year, because... Ah, it's Christmas, isn't it? It's Christmas, mate! It's gone mad! Just have fun! I mean, I mean, Christmas invariably does mean excess, be it food, drink or television. Whether it's Markman Wise recreating Singing in the Rain, the Trotters dressed as the dynamic duo, or EastEnders running over a bear before light relief, TV is our very pal throughout the entire turkey and tinsel period. And my book pays tribute to 40 years of festive programmes, with over 250 of them viewed and reviewed in mini-essays. Alongside the classics, there's also room for retro oddities and forgotten favourites. Who remembers Kid Creole and the Coconuts' ITV musical about racism? Or BBC One's terrifying screeching Pinocchio puppet? Perhaps you remember Roland Rat going to Switzerland? Or Skeletor learning the true meaning of Christmas? Doctor Who's original spin-off? The Bee Gees teaming up with Frankie Howard for a medieval musical comedy, or Fergal Sharky having a nightmare on a Concorde while the Crankies watch on in helpless amusement high above the telecom tower. It's all in there, plus much, much more. But don't take my word for it, here's one satisfied customer reading out a favourite entry from it. Wednesday, 22nd of December 1965, 5.50pm, The Magic Roundabout, BBC One. A film series from France, episode 39, Roundabout Christmas. How much does that simple five-word introduction undersell the joy, humour and personality of Eric Thompson's wonderful reworking of Serge Dano's French animation La Manège Enchantée? Sadly, Awkward's right tell means, other than the odd but wonderful spin-off Dougal and the Blue Cat, the magic roundabout has yet to grace DVD and probably never will. Which is a crying shame, as some episodes only ever seemingly air once and deserve to be rediscovered by another generation, who probably only know the characters from novelty retro pencil cases and, hopefully not, that dire 2005 CGI film. The two-disc version DVD of which did feature some black and white Magic Roundabout episodes as extras, but I'm still sulking anyway. Even Nigel Planer's fun revival, co-written with his brother Roger for Channel 4 in the early 1990s, seemed to fall but vanish from the face of the planet. A shame for kids of all ages. I've always been slightly obsessed with TV listings and even used to make my own fantasy telly magazines as a kid that I'd have to hide from my dad who was already convinced I was watching too much television as it is. Maybe I wrote these books in order to somehow alleviate that goggle boxery and move it into the very important research category in my head. It was a joy, though, to go through all those old TV and Radio Times issues and find out what had made audiences in the past thrill, swoon and shout, I don't like this, what time's Boone coming on? Indeed, it's that last feeling that I wanted to also represent in the book, in order for it to not become some mad Brexiteer, things are better in 1976, even though I wasn't even born till 1980, style diatribe. The fact is, there's always been rubbish programmes on, and the aforementioned joy of going through the Radio Times with the red pen is to wheedle out the gems from amongst the soaps, treks, and comedy screeching Irishmen in a frock. Wednesday, 26th December 1973, 4.30pm, HMS Pinafore, ITV. Gilbert's witty class satire with Sullivan's glittering music performed by the Doily Cart Opera Company. Blimey, Gilbert and Sullivan performed on ITV in Tipping Point's slot? What next? The Flintstones on ice? 
Friday 26th December 1975, 1pm, The Flintstones on Ice, ITV. Oh, seriously? A CBS production for Christmas 1973, this had animated wraparounds featuring the original voice cast of The Flintstones, but the modern Stone Age family had come a long way since their respected primetime sitcom of the early 60s. Initially making their way on Saturday mornings in 1971 with The Pebbles and Bam Bam Show, a spin-off featuring the teenage children of Fred and Barney who naturally had their own rock band, before the Flintstone Comedy Hour took its place with those ghastly fake laugh tracks that seemed ridiculous in an animated programme, especially one that wasn't very funny like this. So, I'd like to wish Lisa and Andrew a very Merry Christmas and thank them for giving me this little slot in which to curtsy and show off my wares like an old-timey street peddler. Alright lady, come and get your lovely critiques of Satan Greaves' Boxing Day Special. And if you're interested in any of my books, visit www.benbakerbooks.co.uk or if you'd like to see my blog, it's at tvlookback.blogspot.com where I also talk old telly and post episodes of my far inferior podcast, The Ben Baker Quiz Explosion. And remember, a book is for life, not just for Christmas. And though, to be honest, I'd just stick with turkey. Merry Christmas! If you need to find a dentist in a hurry... Entertainment for Holiday Monday on BBC One. At 5.20 at Grange Hill Christmas Special as staff and pupils prepare for an end-of-term disco. Oh yeah, what about the music? Oh, we thought you were going to do your reverse unison test bit again, sir. Uh-uh, I've retired. Isn't there a school group we could use? At 5.45, Elizabeth Sladen stars in K9 and Company. Where are you from, K9? From the doctor. From the doctor? Abermadid. At 6.35, Christmas Terry and June. What kind of punch are you making? The old favourite. Not Grandad's paint stripper again. At 5 past 7, Battle of Midway, film drama in the Pacific of World War II. If you send our carriers into a Japanese ambush, the entire West Coast and Hawaiian Island will be wide open to invasion. Uh, At 10 past 9, Bell sings Bing. Only Fools and Horses, starring David Jason, Nicholas Lindhurst, and Leonard Pierce. Entertainment for Holiday Monday on BBC One. There are subtitles to our next programme on CFAX, page 170. Now on BBC One, receiving its first showing on British television, the most celebrated movie in Hollywood's history. Winner of ten Academy Awards with an all-star cast headed by Clark Gable and Vivian Lee as the Timeless Lovers. Part one of Gone with the Wind. June Medford! He doesn't do that at all. No. June Whitaker does. But now we... June Whitaker. Who's June Whitaker? She's David's sister. Right. We've got a bit overexcited. We've got too much Christmas. We've overdosed on T and J. Hey, listen. Christmas with Terry and June. 24th of December, 1982. Mm-hmm. Sir Dennis sort of invites himself <laughs> around <laughs> on Christmas Scott. Day. And Miss Fennel comes along and Malcolm and Beatty. Yes. And 
And I've decided it's quite brave of them to have such an unlikable character in Malcolm because he, he's just miserable the whole time, oh, isn't just, he? Yeah. He's well, he's miserable and, he? and sort of perving over birds, isn't yes. he? Yes. Yeah, because yeah. there's a couple of crackers with big... In the... In trays. Yeah. What, what they're going to... Be in the executive board in the boardroom. Yeah. yeah, that never happened in Grace Brothers. No, uh, but yeah. Um, so this is obviously the first Christmas special we see Sir Dennis, but mm-hmm. he's he's in more episodes. He's in course. the series. Yes. Um, but you get to see a bit of his sort of character background, don't you? About mm-hmm. his about his wife. Yes. Yes, his late wife. His, his late wife. She was ugly. Wife. She was very ugly, and Terry says she can't be that yeah, ugly, yeah, and yeah. looks at the picture and pulls a face. Yes. Like t- only Terry Scott can do. Yes. But you said it's a bit of a sort of Captain Mannering moment. Oh yeah, it? that yeah. moment yeah. goes. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, t- to me, one of the highlights is actually Miss Fennel. Yes. 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 <laughs> and her lineup of films she's trying to yes. get in. What, what does she watch? I mean, what was it? Emmanuel and the ba- um, Bangkok Slave Girls. <laughs> Something like that. I don't know what it was. But yeah, they're doing charades. <laughs> and uh, there's a reference to give us a clue, isn't yes. there? Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, actually referencing ITV stuff. Mm. That's, mm-hmm. that's not right. Um, it's a bird. No, no, it's a book. But, but you, were sa- you were saying that it's it's this sort of comment on sort of middle class suburbia mm-hmm. for all the like drink driving that's oh, implied yeah. to go on. And it? alcoholism. They're all raging. Because Terry's in the office mm. yeah. and Sir Malcolm... Sir Malcolm? Sir Malcolm. Sir Malcolm. Sir Dennis <laughs> uh, pours him an enormous yes. full glass of whiskey. So right mm. to the top of the tumbler. <laughs> and then... How does he get home? Yeah. Because yeah. June, June says she's got the shopping up. in the car. Yeah. Right? But then she she sends him off shopping once she, she finds out. And she goes and have a few sherries, yeah. doesn't she? Yeah. yeah. So who's going to drive? Yeah. And then um, when Sir Dennis turns up, he's got a crate of scotch, basically, yeah. hasn't he? Yeah. And it's, what, at least six bottles of, what was it, Buchanan, I think yeah. it yeah. was. But yeah. they, they kept the brand name on it, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for once. Well, yeah. They probably made it up. And I do yeah. like the bit with... Um, because Terry starts stamping on the floor, doesn't yes. he? And you said, what's he doing that for? And it turns out their Christmas tree's got a dodgy connection. On the lights. The lights have got a dodgy connection. But yeah, if you hit the... Uh... The right <laughs> <one>. <laughs> okay. I think you've just hit the right one there. Shall I stamp on the floorboard? Does he yeah. do anything else? If you hit the, if you hit the right bit of the floorboard, the lights go on. <laughs> do you laugh at me? Has he got colic? Yeah, it's because we've been laughing so much. Yeah, this yeah. is generally a result of laughing at Terry. Terry Duke, too. Which... And they've been belly laughs in some places. I honestly didn't think we'd no. have this much fun. No. Yes, we, we, we've done three now, and yes. I'm almost sad that we've only got one more left to yeah. do. Yeah. Oh, we should say about the lineup. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, were, you were saying about the stamping though, because oh, yes. the bit yeah, you were actually stamping. going to talk about is so Dennis gets cramped, doesn't he? <laughs> oh, so right. he stands up and stamps his foot, but of course every time he stamps his foot, he turns the light off. So Terry has to get up and stamp, and it's just really yeah. silly because they're both stamping at it's slightly almost different Russian paces. Dancing, isn't <laughs> yes, <it? laughs> yes. And I do like the bit where Miss Fennel loses her novelty under yeah. the table. <laughs> I've lost my novelty. <laughs> what, what was it that Malcolm says? You lost <laughs> that years ago. Yeah. Oh, that was the Dennis. Oh, that was the Dennis. Yes. You, you pointed out, Lisa, she's got a cheap hat. She's got a yeah. cheap yeah. paper hat. She's got hat. a paper hat. Oh, Everybody which... else has got sort of little 
proper hands. Mm. Yeah. Do you think that's because she was the secretary? Well, unless they've like sort of used up some old crackers, yeah, yeah. like we have today. <laughs> yes. And what's it? Um, what's the thing that June's got? <laughs> the thing with like some rings on. The... Oh, one of those little games. Oh, that yeah. you have games. To sort of... yeah. We haven't got a game yet. No. We will have no. to do our crackers in a minute. Yes. Um, yeah, so Dennis, <clears throat> so, De- so Dennis, yes, that's right. Uh, does <laughs> does his wonderful um, sort of rambling, yeah, <coughs> toast speech, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Terry has has to sort of answer in return. Yes. Oh, but, Terry's outfit. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, Terry's yeah. outfit. He's yeah. now what is it? he's got his his red cardi on. <laughs> yeah. Sort of um, button up job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's got a little bow tie on. Yeah. yeah. And then he's got a medallion. Saint mm-hmm. Christopher medallion, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> It's a very <laughs> weird combination. I don't know what style he's got, but um, yeah, this is the twenty fourth of December, eighteen oh five. The Kids International show. Yeah, that can off. Uh, Twenty thousand mm-hmm. leagues under the sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christmas with Terry and June. What song before Christmas is with Terry and June? Twenty thousand leagues under the sea. Oh, That's right, where they okay. bury Genome's the got. Genome's oh, got duplicated yeah, posts for some up, reason. It? If yeah, you yeah. if you scroll right to the top, it says, "We're aware that the listings on this page are duplicated and are working to resolve this problem." Okay. Well, yeah. It's quite easy to resolve. Twice yeah. the fun. Yeah. Uh, where are we? Um, so yeah, Terry and June. Um, but Terry Scott's actually on twice this evening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because after the main news, mm. oh yes I am, oh no you're not. Um, it's a look at um, Widow Twanky, Mother Goose, the Ugly Sisters, mm. and John Inman and Terry Scott are stripped down to their bloomers. That actually looks quite interesting. Yeah. I wonder if that still exists. Ooh, look who the commentary's by. Yeah, Prunella Scales. Prunella Scales, yeah. And yeah. Arthur Askey's in it as well. Uh, never mind. The late Arthur Askey. <laughs> the late Arthur Askey. Late, i better get a watch. <laughs> oh, and what was, <laughs> what was this film they were going to watch after? I don't know. We'll see what, after the see Queen, what film was on. After the Queen's speech. It might have no um, sort of... Relevance at yeah, all. so they watch the Queen's speech. We presume it's on BBC One, don't yes. we? Well, because he says about BBC, doesn't he? Yeah. International Velvet. Okay, right. That was <laughs> that's not the first showing of that. So. <laughs> that sounds a dodgy film as well. <laughs> oh, he's off again. I don't think it is. Anyway. Have a hack. So. A hack. <laughs> and I don't think we need to go into the rest of what's on that no, Christmas no. Day, no. Lisa. Well, look, not that one, but Paul, Dan- Paul Daniel's Magic Show. Christmas Magic Ooh, Show. You yeah. may like it or you may not. Last the Summer Wine. Or Mod Conned. Two, Two Ronnie's, Ronnie's Christmas show. Yeah. And their special guest, David, David Essex. Okay. And then Death, Death on, on the, the Nile. Nile. Oh, it's God. all a laugh on Christmas Day. And Signalman. Yeah. Ooh. Oh. Yeah, they, they're really sh- good, that. Yeah. And Christmas yeah. Night with the Spinners. All yeah, right, okay. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that's three down. Yes. So we've got a pool of cracker. Yes. Yeah. Now, Warren, let's hope you don't lose your novelty here. Yes, don't lose your novelty. If you want a grasp hold of this, Warren, yeah, have a good old pull. Right, ready? Ready? Three, two, one. Oh, blimey. Oh, it did snap. It didn't right. go bang. Did bang. Go bang. bang. Mm. Do you want to pull my thing that goes bang? This is, well, not really. It doesn't have any fingers. This is Warren's hat because he doesn't have a hat. So. Yeah, well, don't you, have a hat. You've got a red hat. Or is it oh, a pink oh, hat? Where's his novelty? Oh, it's coming. Oh, no, look. No, it's pink. Oh, Oh. Hang on, no, it's, it's it's a big novelty. It's stuck. <laughs> no, 
Can you get, not get me naughty out? Right, say grasp it firmly it's, it's with both hands. Oh, how disappointing! Tree. I got a Christmas tree cutter. And you got to read your jacket. It's a cookie cutter, cutter again. Oh, nice. um, come on. <laughs> oh, you want me to read it out loud? Oh, right. right. Using words. Using how do ducks like to round off a meal? What? How do ducks like to round off a meal? I don't know. Cheese and quackers. Oh. And finally, ladies and gentlemen, mm. <laughs> we have uh, Christmas with Terry and June from. Is it? It's not called Christmas with Terry and June. Well, it's, it's Christmas it's, with it's June called, and Terry. Yes, it's called, it's called a pantomania. Pantomania. Mm. Yes. From the twenty fourth of December, nineteen eighty five. Yes. And it's on late at night. Well, yes. I say late at night. It's on nine o'clock. Yes. Yeah. And it really doesn't deserve that slot. No. There's nothing no. in there that could be possibly uh, offensive to anybody. What Apart from the lack of comedy, of course. Lack of comedy in the fact that they attack a cow with a large knife. With a large knife, yes. Yeah. Now, we yes. noticed a real difference with this one, didn't we? Because mm. yeah. we were saying right at the start, we said to you, Warren, we're going to do Terry in June. And you went, oh, all right. It's not going to be that funny. If mm. you'd have shown this one first to me... yeah. I wouldn't have been happy. To and the first it. three, yeah. we laughed our heads off. Yeah. Right? Yes. Increasingly so, I think. Mm. Yes. And this, it all felt a bit flat, didn't it? It Very did. Flat, yeah. It did. And, you know, we, we sort of sat down and thought about it. This is a couple of years on from, from you yeah. know. It's, it's rushed. And we were saying, mm. well, why didn't you use a bit more on this scene? You could have extended this and got more laughs yeah. that way. And but the series <laughs> lasts one more season after this in 1987. So there's nothing in 1986. Yeah. Um, and Do you the, think it had a rest then? And well, I, d I don't know how much better or worse the or last Terry then season was. Um, but one thing we d have to say is that all the ones that we laughed at were produced by Peter Whitmore, mm -hmm. yeah. and the ones that we the one we hasn't haven't laughed at yes. is Robin Nash Robin and Martin Chardler. Yes. Yeah. And we've already said before, we like Martin Chardler. Yeah, because he does my favourite Are You Being Served, you said. And, of course, yeah. Series 1 of Blackadder. Yeah. So I just wonder... If it's uh, the producer. Whether, yeah, whether this change of production team has, has unsettled everyone a bit. Like I really don't same, know. isn't it? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Which the, means it should still be funny. Yeah. I mean, there there are... For the previous season, we have got new, we have got different writers in. So maybe yeah, he's got, running out of ideas. Colin Bostock Smith, that's a quality writer. You've got Eric Merriman, yeah. John Chapman, yeah, Greg Freeman. So yeah, we, uh, in fact, Terry Ravenscroft as well. So was John? Um, do you think John was dealing with something else at that time as well? well I, I, don't, I, don't I think he's run out of ideas. Yeah, to be honest, I mean, which is a shame. Yeah, which mm. is a great production shame. wise, they spent more money on it. You can tell yeah. because you've got the whole filming sequence and it was night filming night season, filming yeah. even mm. uh you've got tv's michael charvel martin appearing as a butcher mm. yeah i don't know how much he cost but do you think that this is now terry and june is it's it's at its peak well it's sort of possibly i think it's probably its past it now it's... but it's is it part of the sort of center of entertainment for christmas and there's a lot of pressure. Ooh, I do, do hope it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean that in the nicest possible yeah. way because that, that then adds to the demise of the series, doesn't it? Yeah, I just wonder if there was too much pressure and they've tried too hard. Or are they all tired? Because it's the last, presumably it's the last one. And it's, a long, it's a longer series. It's seven yeah. episodes. Well, of this night, you've got um, seven o'clock Telly Addicts Christmas special, um, The Pain Family. Uh, do you remember The Pains? Does that ring a bell? It does with me. Yeah, it does with me, yeah. Um, yeah. Versus Nina Miscow, 
or however you say it. Mishkoff. I know what I mean. Barry Took, uh, Larry Grayson and Michael Grade. Yeah, why the, in heaven's sake is Michael Grade on the television? He's not a star. He thinks he is. He's well, a great EastEnders. Mm. Boom, boom, boom. The best Christmas they never had. And Kenny, Kenny Everett's mm. Christmas Carol and A Question of Sport. Mm. So It's not that comedy-packed, is it? Yeah. Kenny well, Everett, I'd go for. Well, that's the thing. The Kenny Everett Chris, Christmas Carol, I think, well, is look probably at the lineup of people you got on. Very that. good. You have got Milligan, Rushton, Peter Cook, John Wells. Yeah, mm. so that's that's a real solid thing. I think, um, unfortunately, Terry June is now being eclipsed by this. Yeah, and maybe nobody thinks they have to. <laughs> Why are you laughing at my stomach? My stomach is not funnier than a Terry and June Christmas special. It is today. It, it is, is today. today. For this one, yeah. You can see Carol's in there. <laughs> But uh, yeah, have you got BT in there? I, I have not, because <laughs> um, we did. We did wonder whether the uh, pantomime cow was uh, the was the, was the ghost mob, but it isn't. No. Thankfully, mm. um, they were obviously busy elsewhere, yes. doing decent things. <laughs> but mm. yeah, so not a not maybe the best one to end on. No, but I think three out of four. We'll score that one as, yes. as, as being entertainment. What? Just just want to add that one. You bring in that one. That's a little weird to have on Christmas entertainment, wasn't What's it? What's that? Cagney, Cagney, and, Cagney Lacey. and Lacey at quarter to ten. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I don't know where they scheduled Cagney and Lacey yeah. at this point. We have to look that up. But, uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, do you, want to, do you want to end with the final cracker? Yes. And this one's got to be for the listeners at home, hasn't yes. it? You can pull this So one you out. two can pull it. Oh, Shall I pull it? You All right. Pull it with Lisa. Lisa okay. and Andrew will pull it then. Right. Yeah, okay, ready? Grasp grasp it firmly, Lisa. It firmly. Ooh, go on two hands. Ooh. Oh me. Pull me walnuts. <laughs> Can you get it out, Lisa? These crackers I would put out are several years old now, so Oh you've got a you got a ruler. I've got a ruler which goes up to is three... it Queen Elizabeth the second. How big is that, Lisa? Not very. Three inches. Three inches, what? You've got another pink hat. There's a lot of pink hats in here. <laughs> what are you laughing at my inches for? Oh, what's okay. the joke? And the joke is... What do you call an elephant that flies? What? What do you call an elephant that flies? A jumbo jet. Yes. <laughs> okay, a Merry Christmas to all of you at home. Merry Christmas, everyone. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. was episode 30 30 of round the archives starring lisa parker andrew trobridge warren cummings martin holmes and ben baker thanks also to tim worthington and gareth hirons on the musical side you heard dan tate and paul chandler the scripts for the terry and june christmas specials were by john kane and the producers were peter whitmore 
and Robin Nash. Lisa and Andrew are not expecting what I'm about to ask them. So um, this is the end of the year, and I'm going to ask well, not them. Not yet, it's not. Oh, isn't it? All right. It's nearly the end. <laughs> it will be when we release it. But yeah. um, I'm going to throw a couple of questions at them first of all. Oh, one they've had sort of pre-warning of, but I'm not going to go straight in with that one. All right. I'm going to ask you, what subject matter has changed your opinion about uh, a particular programme? Oh, God. Hmm. And this is through... All the wonderful mm. episodes that you have done are around the archives. Ooh, that's a hard one. That is quite a hard one to start off with. I'm trying to think of something that we, I didn't think I was going to enjoy and ended up enjoying a lot. And I can't think of anything at the moment. Well, um, I think it's more, I'm going to slightly divert it. Because I think it's, we've chosen sort of things on, on whims often. Cause yes. Because you, you, you sometimes say, well, it might be interesting to try. Yeah that show and, mm -hmm. and you just take a punt on it knowing virtually nothing about it so mm -hmm. i think it's not so much stuff that i've had a an opinion about beforehand it's stuff that i've had no opinion or have never heard about so it's things like zodiac yes that we I, were surprised about zodiac because because i i we, you got it for my birthday, didn't you, a couple mm. of years ago? And I put it on the list because we'd been watching Who Done It, and every time John Pert we introduced Anushka Hempel, we'd say Star of Zodiac. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I wonder, it might be interesting to see that. And I looked it up, and it wasn't that expensive. And I said to you, you could get me that. And I, I didn't half, half expect you not to because I knew it was the kind of subject you you don't really approve of. <laughs> but when we started watching it, we really enjoyed it because yeah. um, she, uh, Anushka Hempel, and Anton Rogers have got a great relationship they work really well together their mm. characters work really well together and i think his character really grounds it and it's only what six episodes six episodes and we really wish there were more and i could have done with 12 quite yeah. happily yeah. um well you've got they, they should have done I 12. Have done 12 yeah you, one for each of the each of the signs of the zodiac, signs of the zodiac yeah. yeah but i mean yeah i mean shows like crown court i love crown court i yeah. again we got just because it was your birthday, wasn't yes, it? Yes, it was. It was the year of my birth. It was first shown when yeah, I was and, forty. And I d went into it probably with the opinion that most people that haven't seen it, it's that it was that thing that was on when you were ill, off school, mm. and you didn't watch it because it was boring. But you know, a bit of hindsight and actually sitting down yeah. and making the effort. Has really, really paid off. I mean, and particularly the the one that we covered for, for the podcast, "How to Steal a Memory Bank," mm. is outstanding. For when it was made, it show it's, it portrays portrays a character who would now be labelled would be recognised as being autistic, mm. but then it's just looked at as being a bit strange. But it's treated with respect. Yeah, it's not. They don't take you know, they don't sort of take the Mickey out of them, which. I would have thought they might have done. 
I mean, our, our approach has always been to try and look for the, for the positive in things. Yeah, so it? we don't do stuff that we wouldn't like. No. Um, because um, Simon Exton of the Exton Moss experiment sent me a list of things, suggestions of things we should do. Mm. And I immediately ruled out a couple of them because I think he suggested threads. And I was like, no, I don't want to watch threads. And he suggested the Mad Death. I'm like, no, I don't want to watch the Mad Death. Why would I want to watch the Mad Death? So and 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 um, our house and I went no we've seen one episode of that we didn't like it. It's like, <laughs> Simon's going to probably sit, argue with you about. He would that, argue with yeah. that, and he's he's perfectly in his right to do so. But from our opinion, it wasn't very good. Yeah, but yeah, it's that's the thing. It's it's more things surprise us based on no knowledge than than I don't think we've had any great changes no. of, of opinion otherwise. No. Really, I mean. <laughs> You know, it's that it's that thing that people sometimes sort of suggest shows that we know nothing about, mm -hmm. and it's often more interesting to let somebody else look at that. Yeah. Like, like Andy's done with Maelstrom, mm -hmm. and Paul's done with Dark Shadows mm -hmm. recently, and Paul, ironically, has not only encouraged Andy to start watching Dark yeah. Shadows. Even I've done a couple of episodes yes. in the last couple of days. Yeah. So. You know, in the nineties, Paul was sort of you know obviously very keen on it, but I never had the sort of time or ability to actually sit down and watch mm -hmm. it but I, I'm probably going to dip my toe in in the water a bit more over the next mm -hmm. you know few weeks or months just to just to see where it goes but we shall see mm -hmm. we'll get back to you on Dark Shadows I think yes well thanks for that one thanks for being so candid with the answers that uh -huh. one um and finally, this mm. one that I threw in a few moments ago, and then I said to you, can we grab the recorder? Because I'm really interested in the answer for this one. When did you realise, or when when did you feel that, uh, uh, at what level, after doing... You've done 30 now. Well, well more or less. By the, by the time yeah. this is out, we'll have done 30, yes. yes. At what point did you realise it was becoming a success? Hmm. Mm. Again, difficult. I... It, it didn't take us long to, I think, establish a basic format. The first one we just threw together. Yes. yes. You know. And it's, it's a bit of a, a hodgepodge, the first one, because we've got... We do, we review archive stuff. Mm. We look at... Because when we did that one, the BBC were showing some of their landmark um, sitcoms, remakes, and um, sort of pilots for things that didn't go on to do anything. Mm. So things like they remade... Um, in uh, in sickness in the house, yeah, and um, Hancock. Till death us do part. Till death us do part. I yeah. can never remember which one of those comes first, and um, uh, there's the oh, step time son, yeah, as well, and we talk about the the um, till death do us part, yeah, and the remake of that, which we both quite enjoyed, but we, we don't really do much current television after that. No, I mean the the, the early ones relied on help from people that we knew could do it so we get nick we get you mm. a bit later on we get paul so that's mm -hmm. our like that's our core group of contributors that we know that of all so we knew had experience of doing this sort of thing anyway but it's when you start introducing people that you've never actually met mm -hmm. and that's the point you think oh actually people are interested enough to to take part. Yeah, to commit themselves. And I'm dreadful about asking people I don't know. Mm. And it's surprising how many people that I don't know 
that we've suggested it to that have been happy to do something yeah. and, and mm-hmm. that's the point you think oh actually people quite like this mm-hmm. and as I said to you when you asked us sort of before we started recording when people that you respect you know the work that they've done actually seem to like what you've done a bit yeah. and are happy to even not necessarily contribute but to help you with sort of facts and things like that and mm-hmm. you know that there are people that um, have never particularly wanted to do an article, but are still very happy to help us out with with the odd the odd bit. Um, and there's no reason why they should, because no. you know we're taking up their time. No. But I mean, Martin's a good example of that because I only knew Martin really from his work in sort of Tardis um, fanzine around about 1985 and um, some of the cartoons he did about. 1987 and we just thought well let's ask him mm-hmm. um, you know I, I remembered that he he'd done stuff and I thought he was you know a good writer and an art, a talented artist as well so the fact that somebody like that has been so keen mm-hmm. to, to, to keep doing stuff yeah. Um, it, you think, oh no, actually, we we must be doing yeah. something right. Cause... And to do all all the pictures and cartoons and covers yeah. and all that sort of thing as well. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, we we know we know Paul will, will happily do something. Yeah. You know, we know you'll come around and watch some telly with us and and, and be silly and be silly <laughs> and, and 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 we know that sort of Nick enjoys doing that. And mm. but but yeah, I've no, I've known that for twenty years or more. Yeah. So <laughs> it's no great surprise, but. Yeah. And the one issue, when I think about the one issue of an article I am really pleased with, and I don't know what episode it's on. Do you know what episode it's on? If I find the episode guide, I can um, tell you. Heidi High article we did, which was ridiculously 45 minutes long. (laughs) And I could have probably gone on for at least another five, ten minutes. And I did start to panic a bit because I started getting wind-up signs. Heidi like, oh. High is episode 19. Yeah, how do I finish this? But yeah, and it's it's I really enjoyed doing that. And we we sent the link to Geoffrey Holland, who was obviously in it, and he very kindly replied and said he'd enjoyed it. And, and so, yeah, it's it's when you get somebody involved in it and they say, yeah, that's we, we, I, I really like that. So I mean, it's true now that I do have to look at the episode guide to remind me what's on which issue. Yes. Which wasn't a problem in the first sort of six issues. Mm-hmm. But now we're, you know, coming up and we're doing 30 and I haven't a clue. But let's just look at 19. Now you've, mm-hmm. now you've said about that. Yes. I think 19 is quite, quite an interesting range, actually, because mm-hmm. it's got Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World. Yeah. Um, with a little bit of the goodies with mm-hmm. the Bigfoot episode. Um, you and me did How. Mm-hmm. That was quite fun, Warren. Uh, Paul and Nick did Thriller, which we still haven't got around to watching. No, we've got it. Got it on DVD. You've got it. Got so much stuff on DVD from other people's articles. And then you big did your big Heidi High one. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and I, I, I again, I'm going to apologise for my appalling attempt at a Welsh accent. Is that the one where I was having to do wind up? Yes, you did towards... wind up signals, and and because I was I, thinking, I, blimey, we're hitting forty minutes. Yeah, here. yeah. I, 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 I said I started panic, panic a little bit because I'm like, how do I finish this really quickly? But but uh, let's turn it around, Warren. Um, when we first suggested to you, would you help out? Um, what what did you think? Because as you know, you've done so, you did some very early editions of Ray Fay Shift, and you and I sort of did some tape scenes. But it's a long time. There's a long gap, isn't there, between what we did in the eighties and what we're doing 
now i don't remember doing much with you sort of in those intervening years no, in, we, um, we sort of audio i sort of moved away um uh, audio wise yeah as soon as you mentioned it i did have quivers of going back to local group audio yeah we've moved on since then the the, the we've we we've come together again in the last what 10 15 years yeah. longer probably yeah um but we've viewed so much and gathered so much knowledge yeah i think it's ideal but and we think and also i knew i would never have the fear of drying mm. because if i if i lost pace you would come in and likewise yeah well if, you, you you can trace it all back to what we did in the 80s you know the, the the seeds of it are there, aren't they? There's a definite line you can draw between, you know, then and now. But as you say, is it any different though? Are we're not we really, really? It's just the technology that's different. We're just, we are doing the same jokes. We are definitely <laughs> doing the same jokes. <laughs> just, yes, just to, to a slightly wider audience and with better audio quality. Yeah, but um, I think the library that we have now. Well, there it is in front of us. The library that you have now is vastly superior to what we had. Well, it, it's when we the availability, the but even then, in the eighties, we were Doctor Who fans, but not to the exclusion of everything Absolutely. else. Yeah, and I think that this is what I always say to people: that you know, there are a lot of people discovering old Doctor Who, and that's brilliant. But I would say there's more old yep. telly to discover than just old Doctor Who. It's mm -hmm. like wandering down a corridor with several doors off of it. Mm. You can either open, carry on walking down the corridor, yeah. or you can explore the little anterooms off of it. Yeah. Which is why, I, as, as you said, Lisa, we never wanted to make this a Doctor Who no. podcast. Yeah. That, that was far too restrictive. And, you know, doing things like How, mm. you know, doing things like Terry in June. Is, yeah. You, you, it, there's just so much more to discover, and you've got the advantage that a lot of this, there's very little, there's very little you know, places where you can go for this sort of stuff, is mm -hmm. there? That there aren't books on how and things like that. You know, there's books which mention it in passing, but you know, to do sort of fifteen, twenty minutes on some of these subjects. We could do that. We could do those forever. Frankly, mm -hmm. um, you know, we could we could do a, we could do a Z cars every month. Yeah. We could do if we, we could. wanted to. Could. Or Dixon Jock Green. Yeah. Or uh, Sergeant Cole. And and you could do that for years. Mm -hmm. We we jump about all over the place, and I I think that's what keeps it interesting, because mm -hmm. some of the time we plan it a long way ahead, mm -hmm. and some of the time we sort of think a week before before and oh let's do that. And we've got that flexibility. I think that's where the format of yeah. it of it works. Um, occasionally, we'll end up with a themed issue or two, which is what happened with the American mm -hmm. ones. But for next year, I don't know what we're going to do for a lot of it yet. I know what some of the articles are because we've already got them. But it could go anywhere. Could mm. do anything. And you know, even with issue thirty, we've slightly played around with the format by doing the sort of Terry and June stuff sort of broken up mm -hmm. um, and I don't know what the format's going to be in a year's time no, no idea <laughs> and that's quite exciting isn't it yes yeah, definitely but it, it can go it can go in lots of different ways passions can take you in all directions yeah. and as you say you're opening doors to new and exciting programs 
new knowledge that you're, you're well that, that's the point we are learning stuff every month and we're just mm. and and that's the joy of it i and think it's not just storylines it's production values mm. it's history it's the actors that take part you go i can do a chronological tree to what they've been in yeah and, and the more we see the more connect it's it is it, it, i think you said once it's the james burke connections approach to archive tv yeah and i can't claim to have invented it i'm just following you know what what sort of james burke sort of laid down that you as you say you can look at an actor and see oh they did that and they did that but it's that information is now available um you've got imdb you've got wikipedia they're not always the best sources but you've got bbc genome as mm. well and that to us has been yeah. a great great help help yeah. just to be able to see what was on that day mm-hmm. what was on before the program you're talking about what was on after the program what was on bbc2 mm. did that actor appear in anything else that same day yeah and sometimes they do yeah. and you have that great following of contributors yeah and listeners who will chip in with well that, that that's pieces. the thing we, we cannot say thank you enough to everybody that yes. is happy to you know just throw in a few extra facts yeah. and go you know yeah. that's missing that you know that survives as a film insert you know such and such also did this and just point pointing you in other things to look at you know there's no way we can cover everything everybody sort of points out that it's just impossible mm-hmm. um but it always sort of keeps you on your toes i think that's mm-hmm. the thing i don't i don't think we sort of we might joke we might say oh let's just churn it out churn out another one but i don't think we do that because people would pull you up on that they mm-hmm. say oh you've been a bit slack this this yeah. month so <laughs> being able to find like carl sagan's airline ticket is just the sort of stuff i love um because you don't you don't find that without a bit of looking yeah <laughs> and I, I think we we've got the enthusiasm to do that yes but uh, <laughs> but i just wanted to say you know thank you to everyone that's yes thank you you know without you we probably wouldn't have lasted this long because no, we'd, having, have got, we'd have got to about three or four yeah, extra people helping yeah. is you know it's been a tremendous help yeah there's no way we could do yeah. this just the two or three of us i don't think so you're all wonderful uh, you all done very well thank, thank you, you mr grace. grace and on that note thank you very much indeed for your listeners uh, your contributors yeah and good luck for 2019 oh blimey <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye.